Yo, everybody, what is up? What's going on? This is your boy, C. Mark Kizzle, Carl Markowski. You're listening to the Playing On Podcast. Thank you for joining me. Uh, this episode is brought to you by, you thought I was going to say water, but again, you should drink water. Um, I want to bring <laughs> a, a little of uh, something else into uh, into the beginning. I, I said in the last podcast something that I thought about. And it was, I, I said that life was short. And I, I, I was thinking about it. And really, life is long. And let me, let me explain, at least in my words. What I was thinking at the time was life was short because you just, you, you attach yourself to these moments. And you attach yourself to these these things outside of the everyday mundane um, part of your life, and I think that's what makes life seem short. Is there there are some people attach themselves so much to these these moments that happen that happen seldomly that then in turn it makes life seem short because you have less of these moments during your entire life. Um, but thinking about it and, and, and thinking that life is long, meaning that you have you have every day to redeem yourself. You have every day for redemption. You have every day to to be happy, to to uh, push and move kindness and to just motivate and, and and be a part of the of the solution. And I really I really had been thinking about that, and there was a podcast that I listened to, um, which was the the Tim Ferriss podcast with uh, Jordan Peterson recently, and and he, and he had brought it up, and I it kind of just kind of you know had my wheels turning, and I started thinking about it and thinking about it, and it really kind of hit home for me, and the more I thought about it, it was man just. Be in, you know, the, the future is now you think about it and we we have to make every day count. And I think that's why habits are so important. And I think that's why taking care of yourself and eating right and, uh, and, and drinking enough water and just making good decisions every day and, and you know, and, and kissing your loved ones and, and, and hugging and uh, you, your friends and just being around people that you enjoy being around. And spending less time, you know, pushing the bullshit and, and pushing the, the, just the, the, the hate or the shitting on people. I mean, some people enjoy trolling and everything, but I think it's, I think it's something where they're missing something inside themselves that they're jealous of either, um, success or achievement of, that person or people um or they they have not they haven't reached that themselves and that's why they they lash out because it's the easiest thing to do because instead of doing the work and actually putting in the time and blood and sweat and tears and and getting to what you want to do you would rather come up short and do the easy thing and shit on the people who actually um made it happen i think that's why it's so easy to shit on a lot of the greats in our sport um, especially at the high end level of of just tournament paintball of being like oh you know when um, you know when 
Impact was on top. It was easy. It was easy to shit on them. It it was easy to shit on Dynasty when when they were on top because people got used to it eventually. And then they then they said, oh well, you know, this is this is boring. We want something new. We want. I mean, granted, there were there were Dynasty fans, and there still is. And I'm not like trying to pick out, you know, one or the other. I'm just saying that that you get hate when you're great because of the achievements that you that you attain. And I think because you are what you are a proven thing of what somebody can do. Um, the people who do not are the ones who tend to lash out. And and yeah, I, I don't know the point of that whole ramble. But I, I just really, man, just focus on the everyday. Focus on the small things. And, and it sounds tedious. But, I mean, the small habits and the 1% things of in... Of in um, what am I trying to say? The the improvement by one percent of things and doing something just to change a little bit every day matters so much. And and you know every day is the same until one proves it not to be. So it's you have to go out if you want to be the best. If you want to be the best that you can be, you have to make an effort towards it. You cannot just show up and and just hit the field and then and then that's it. I'm just going to I'm going to play a bunch of reps of paintball. Obviously that's that's good, but you have to do the shit and be willing to do the things that other people and players are not willing to do. That's why you see Alex Goldman on top. That's why you see these California players on top. Texas that they not only play a fuck ton of paintball, but they put themselves in a situation where they sharpen their swords. They they do the drills. They do um, they they get out there and they just get they get gun time and it's huge, man. It's huge. Rather than you know dwelling on the shit that doesn't matter, they focus on what does. And, and I think that's that's the biggest thing. And I'm if you're gonna take anything away from this uh, this intro I have before I do the ads, uh, it, it it really is. Whether it be in in your your everyday life, uh, if you're trying to change something, and I'm not saying this is you know relative for everybody, um, this is just kind of a broad you know ramble. So I'm I'm just saying because you know there are people happy out there. There's people that are not happy. There's you know there's there's everyone is out there. This is just my blabbering opinion. Um, but what what I have try to introduce into my life and what I've been really trying to work on is changing those small things to improve myself and to just work my way towards being happy with myself and that is making the changes and stop procrastinating and and really admiring the people who who uh, you know take the right steps to uh, to make themselves happy so you know do what you got to do and you know read the books, read the articles, uh, watch and do whatever motivates you, but take action. That's the biggest thing, man. Take action because if, if all you do is you read and you just obtain information, but if you do, if you fail to act on that information, that's all it is. It's just information. And, um, obviously the more, you know, uh, the better, but you, you have to be able to act on it. If, if you want to change, uh, if you want to change for the better. So yeah, so that's my little ramble-damble. Um, 
a little tea break. Oh man, this sweet and spicy tea is delish. Damn. All right. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Charm City Paintball. Um, guys, like I've said before and, and, and many times in this podcast, uh, Mike Thompson, who is Charm City Paintball, all of these are, are original one-off, one-of-a-kind headbands. Even if he makes a run of 10, they are all different, but they are all top-notch, high-quality. And the difference between his headbands and everyone else's is that he himself, a, a true paintball player, uh, one amongst us all, is making these things out of the love of the game and and feeling like that's what we're lacking right now is these authentic headbands and these nice, thick, heavy headbands that are that are very retro-like. And... Um, and talking about retro he uses a lot of the uh, the vintage fabrics when available he uses uh anything from real tree the mossy oak skyline and uh and also genuine tiger stripes and what he has right now he also has some designer like fabrics uh that he put on some headbands and some head wraps so make sure you head over to his facebook and his instagram and uh, he has a bunch of pictures of his stock at the moment current inventory and you can give him a shout on what you like, but if you don't see something that catches your eye, shoot him over a uh, uh, a DM and get into talks with him because he actually will work with you on making a one-off custom piece, which is cool, man. anybody can anybody can buy these headbands off of you know name a paintball site and. You know, you can get one of the thousand headbands that they uh, that they make, but every one that Mike makes is a small run, small batch. So, uh, that being said, they're pretty much a one-off, one-of-a-kind, unique piece. So, make sure you get your hands on them and uh, let Mike know that Carl from the Playing On Podcast sent you over there. Cool beans. We are also brought to you by... Melovio, the CBD superstar that I have been lucky enough to partner with um, and not only partner with, but actually use of product. It has been a, a great time. We all know how, you know, light I play uh, whenever it comes to paintball. So, you know, I don't need much recovery, but yeah, I, I do. And what tends to happen is that if uh, if a lower back or knees start to bug me, I like to use that salve. I like to use that uh, that heavy dose of salve on my back or my knees, and uh, it gets me going again. And I've had many people, uh, I've turned many people to uh, CBD, and in particular Melovio, uh, their products, because it has really, really worked for me. And if you are not big on topicals, they also have tinctures that you can take orally. Um, Sometimes I just put a couple drops of that in my tea, and uh, makes me feel nice. And if you don't know much about CBD, they also have a uh, a good description of kind of what it is. There's no psychoactive uh, ingredients, meaning THC, inside of the CBD. And if there is, it is under the uh, state limitation, or it could be federal limitation. No. 
sometimes I have no idea what I'm talking about. But in this case, they have all the information on the website, but everything is legal, and there is no uh, it, there is no psychoactive ingredients inside. It's ju it's just pure medicine, and uh, it's amazing. Please give it a try. Like I said, if uh, if you guys don't like the salve, they also have tinctures. They also have uh, flour and pre rolls. If you guys are into actually inhaling it, um, capsules, stuff for your pets, honey all kinds of juicy treats um, and uh, and yeah make sure you give them a shout that's m-e-l-l-o-v-e-o.com for the most bestest CBD products on the market and if you guys want even a little bit of extra juice you can type in the promo code capital T-P-O-P and you'll get 15% off your entire order yeah buddy so um Make sure you check them out, give them a shout, and try some of their amazing products. Thank you to Melavio. Oh yeah, wild man, Ryan Moorhead. The man, the myth, the man, the wild man. Uh, I've said it many times on, the, on many other podcasts how truly unique his playing style is. But he, what's, what's amazing about it is he makes it work and... He, you, you, he's undeniable because he's always in the spots up front getting his nose dirty. He is a maniac. He is gifted and has played the game for a long time and has an amazing story. And, um, yeah, it was, it's really cool to be able to play against him and, and grow up playing against him um, throughout the years. And it's really amazing to see him still competing. And uh, I hope he's still able to do that for a uh, for a very long time. So, uh, yeah, here we go. Here is the podcast with Ryan Moorhead. Listening to dear Blake one earlier today, and I heard you asking him about some quirky things he has. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, I was trying to dig on him, see if he had anything, but he's like, he's so just kind of like normal, regular guy, just like. Like you get you get what you see with Blake. Yeah, well, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, he's a funny player though because he's one of the nicest guys off the field, but he's such an asshole on the field. Mm -hmm. Oh man, what was <laughs> he gets it? So spicy about things, and I just like laughing at him. <laughs> <laughs> he does, he does, and like off the field, you would not even guess it. But I remember, uh, I, I think it was at World Cup, and I don't know. Oh, they were playing Impact. I think it was Impact. They were playing Impact, and um. I think it was Goldman. Something happened where uh, Alex was like in the mix, and <laughs> running up on him was Blake. I'm like, what the fuck? Where is he coming from? Yeah, last than you'd expect. Like, <laughs> yeah. Super and you're like, okay, you just get all spicy. You like, let out all your emotions when you're playing. I like it. Is Blake about to pull out a bayonet and just fucking start lacing people up? Or what is like going? A Swiss Army knife in his pocket. You know? <laughs> that stays in his gear bag. It's got a sp special oh, spot. Okay. He's probably back. got a couple for camping, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, man. So how you been, man? What's up? Been pretty good. Been pretty good. Just uh, ready for the season to start again. And been going into DLX a little bit, just helping them prototype some stuff. But other than that, just trying to be outdoors as much as possible, hike a lot. Just killing time, you know? COVID year. I know, right? And it's, it's like, what, um, they're having four events this year? Well, four yeah. regionals and then three, uh, well, four pros and then an additional two amateur ones. And then technically the fifth one will be in like that 
late January, early February. They're doing that like Super Cup or whatever they're calling it. Oh, that's right. So it'll be like the new World Cup. So there's still like like five, but it goes into next year. I don't know if I like Super Cup, like the name. Like it sounds great. It sounds just like super. I'm not even sure if it is Super Cup. It might not be. It might be something else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh giant cup it's weird though cause that'll like take away like for sure all the off season for all the good teams which is kind of not like we had a long one anyway but like yeah you get that like break where you're like okay it's not we can take that little hiatus go into next year whatever but this will be like oh man i gotta practice harder now because it's like the most important event of the year yeah after a couple months off yeah exactly and you know now um with no with no disrespect to anybody down in Texas or anything of that, I hope everything everybody's well and everything's happening. But you kind of get a little bit of a taste of the off season that we get, the off season that they're we soft, get. So like the they had a week of snow and they're all. I mean, yes, their houses are falling apart, and I get that. That's horrible. <laughs> this shit is burning down, but okay. Nothing's <laughs> made for that weather temperature, but like right. you get three inches of snow and it's like no one can drive, no one can do anything, no one can play. Like, yeah, dude, that's but, insane. Yeah, I was really for it so i think east coast ballers are always been that grittiness to them though like yeah some teams always struggled in those first events but other teams did well because it was like that fighting attitude yeah oh, what yeah. going on here updates on fuck you adobe everybody in that uh everybody in that lake effect area of the yeah, east yeah. coast midwest everything is just like we always have to deal with that and it's crazy too because you know i was thinking about it because at first it was oh texas and you know all of them they're all getting hit with two inches of snow and this yeah, and that yeah. and then i think about it i'm like well, why would they ever be prepared for like more than that ever and you wouldn't be and the biggest problems were their pipes and stuff for you. yeah and just bursting like, oh well, my god there's not fresh water you about that because you can't you can't plan for everything and just be too expensive no absolutely not and this is like a once in a, that's a once in a lifetime thing that happened yeah, yeah. that's and what they say that's what they say although we did like get I've snow in snow dallas that one yeah. that one year that was a good year. Won forty five grand first place that year. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck, dude. That was crazy though, because it was like ninety when we were walking the fields. We were, we were all in our board shorts and stuff, and mm-hmm. then the next day there's ice in the bunkers. We're knocking them off. <laughs> it's insane, man. Ah, uh, dude, that's that's paintball though. That's it's it's crazy, like how the paintball gods, as they're referred to, just has always. It's always been, I feel like, fifty fifty at every event, whether or not it's yeah. gonna rain. It's crazy because it's the worst sport ever for inclement weather, but it happens <laughs> yeah. more than anything. Like yeah. in any other sport, you have to like cancel things. Baseball, you're you're breaking for any like drip, like sprinkle. Like football's the only sport that you play in those like other weathers. But even then, like we're playing in lightning, we're doing this because we got to fit into like we have people flying from all over the country at least, at least probably all over the world, and got to mm-hmm. fit it into three days and. No matter what you do, it's got to get done. So, yeah, I think the only thing that's ever pushed the events has been like hurricanes. Yeah, more or less. Yeah, there was that one in uh, where uh, where's that Texas one at Galveston? Yeah, that one. The, the divisional still played with like out nets and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, and then a couple of times when we were in Malaga, they had those tropical storms that just oh destroyed God. the fields, and we missed like Sunday. Yeah, dude, I'm surprised I haven't, I haven't. Maybe I haven't asked the right people, but I haven't heard any um, like crazy like animal stories or anything. But what was it like? Push when they were talking about finding a snake like in the yeah, the bunkers yeah. and everything. Because I had just talked to uh, Joe Barrett about his whole like spider bite uh, oh, yeah, thing yeah. that happened, and that was insane. 
And are um, we filming? Are we actually filming it or no? Oh, we're we're always filming, man. Oh, okay, never mind. I was gonna say something about that, but <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy though. It's unfortunate what happened to him. It's definitely. So you always worry about that kind of thing when you're in other countries. Well, um, he thinks that he he might have had a spider bite or had the spider bite in Florida before he left. Yeah, yeah. And then went I mean, to England, and then was like, "Oh, I have a hole in my fucking leg." Yeah, you never know, and like sometimes they don't do anything that bad. Like I think I got bit by a brown recluse last year, and I I didn't even know. Like I just you don't feel it or yeah. anything, right? Then I got like the red like two little dots, and then it like got bigger, and then I just kind of like marked it and like watched it to see if it got any bigger. If I need to go to the hospital, and my body just took care of it. But like, oh my god, you're a mutant! Flip, but that's a flip of the coin, right? Yeah. Like. Could have just started eating my flesh away. That'd be pretty horrible. <laughs> yeah, I don't think the I don't think the odds are in your favor usually when you get bit by a brown recluse. No, but... no, I don't think so either. A creepy little thing. But you're just the wild man. You're fucking no. built for the outdoors. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm a very lucky, unlucky person. Like things will happen to me, but nothing ever bad comes from it. Do you think it's the hair? It might be. I think it might be. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when you went through the uh, the whole frosted tips. Uh, oh yeah, phase. that was the Americans' was a, phase, right? Yeah, yeah, Miami effect before that, and all these too. I, I had it for a while, like probably too long. <laughs> <laughs> it was popular back then, though. You had it as long as you needed it. Oh yeah, I didn't need it any longer. <laughs> Dude, even Tim was always like, "Oh, you, you should do it again for World Cup. You should do it for this. You should do it for that." I was like, "You just want me to look stupid because we're friends, but <laughs> that's past that." Uh yeah, man. I don't know. Uh, Sam's bringing—he's bringing back a lot of craziness. Yeah, he—he's uh, definitely my most unique-looking friend. <laughs> like, <laughs> makes me chuckle when I look at him. So. Right. You're like, I'm glad I know you, but don't look like it. Oh, uh, it's so funny because he did it all as like a joke, more or less. Like his mustache mm. he grew. He's like, well, we all grew mustaches. Oh, yeah. And then his one buddy had like a big mustache. Like he's like, I'll try growing it out. And then he got attached to it, and now he can't get rid of it. <laughs> And then the mullet, like Patrick Kane had it in hockey. And oh, just, yeah. Like, oh, I'm gonna, yeah, he's like, I'll shave a mullet for World Cup. Now he's like four years strong into a mullet, getting it feathered. And oh, my God. <laughs> going to salons. Lines on the die. side. I'm like, man, you look so sweet. <laughs> so <laughs> you look so like sweet. you play a, an actual sport like hockey or something right now. I don't know. He looks like some. He looks like a cartoon character, and I love everything about it. <laughs> it's like he's going from the paintball field to the NASCAR track right oh, after. Oh, for sure, for sure. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Dale. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember, I remember you guys grew their mustaches, and and Chad looked like a legit businessman from like the '80s. He goes, he gains like 20 years with his mustache. He goes from being like a little, like 14 year old kid to, to being a cop in his mid 40s. He does have a baby face, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, he doesn't age. So baby. Nah, I don't get it. It's paintball. It's good stress. I think it keeps you young. I feel, the, like yeah. those of us who do the age in it, I mean, think how much worse we would have looked without it. Oh my god, I think it looks better now. I think it's kind of like 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 that rock star lifestyle. You know, <laughs> you look at them and they age so quick, but it's just <laughs> yeah. like they age quick and then they stop and they plateau and then they look the same until they're done partying. That's true. That's true. <laughs> like, oh, you look horrible, but but you'll look like this for forty years. So it's okay. <laughs> you're just gonna have to deal with it for most of your life now. Yeah, but it's like bad at first, but like twenty years later, it's like now you're starting to look good again for your. Everybody age. catches up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh man, um, let's. Uh, so what have been? What have you been doing? Have you been playing uh, 
a lot of paintball here as of yeah, late? Yeah, I've, been, I've still been playing as much as possible. Like last year, I still played quite a few like Woods Bowl tournaments, Dead Man tournaments, some with Cap, Adrenaline, All-Americans. Uh, won a lot of those, but still practice a lot. It's nice yeah. that like our whole team's not around one place, which is a harder for some of the top teams. Uh, but it's nice because ours is at least spread out to the point where we have chunks of players that can play together. Right. It's like me, Sam, and Jag get to go out a lot together. We have the three Texas kids get to go out a lot together. Ronnie and Yaya get to go out together. And then Fedorov and Mishka are right in the same area get to play together. So even though we're spread out, we at least have like partners and little threesomes that we can play with. So been yeah. playing a lot, even in the weather. We were out last weekend. It was nine degrees. That's probably the coldest I've played in a while. We had about like <laughs> eight to ten inches of snow in the field. It was, it was nice and padded, though. It was good for diving. Yeah. <laughs> not good for running. Man, no, not so much. I I just have I I'm not a big fan of like playing in the snow at all. I mean, getting hit by paint. I mean, we we eventually adapted to it, right? But there's always those times where it's like, oh, my God. you get used to it, but it still hurts. Oh, it still hurts every time. <laughs> it it's off, like catches you off guard sometimes. You get used to the idea that you're gonna get shot. I think that's yeah. what it is. So it just always hurts. But like, man, every one of those ones where it's like that catches you and that bounces your like bounces your dome and it okay. it's like a like who's shooting rocks and then, out a little bit like oh my oh my god like <laughs> you kind of sit there and shake your head and like blink oh, a little yeah. bit knocks the sweat off your brow it's not as bad as it used to be when guns are shooting like 30 balls a second though mm. i love it when people are always like 15 balls a second 15 balls a second that like i was like no we used to play it like 32 <laughs> like, and less guns bunkers were just lawless they were like whips you couldn't see gaps you mm-hmm. could just move your barrel, and it would, like, whip around. I don't know how anybody really – like, looking back at the fields and everything, at least the X-ball fields, mm-hmm. looking back at, like, the full auto stuff and the higher rate of fire, I don't know how anybody ever made – were people just that bad at, like, aiming? How did anybody move anywhere or do anything? I think a couple things with that was – for sure, people got better. Like everyone's yeah. like skill set, everything always advances, and no matter what sport you look at, like people are way better now. So could we go back to shooting that fast? I don't think so, because off the break you'd be shooting two, three people every point, and no one wants to watch two on two paintball, you know? What if it was semi-auto? I, I don't, I don't like semi. I, I, I like the mechanical semis that we play in the tournaments and stuff right. like that now, because it's, it is what it is. I think there was never a semi-auto. I mean, there were semi-auto rules, but there was never, and it's, even if no one's cheating, it's so different for each gun, because, like, the way lever switches work, and they read the, the flow of, like, the electricity as it goes through it, you're just right. calculating, like, how it's reading it, so, like, every manufacturer is going to be slightly different, yeah. so every gun has, like, an innate advantage, and it's easy to cheat, like, it's, first thing that people did was start cheating as soon as it was in semi, like, yeah. as soon as electronic boards came out, and it was, they were semi-only, people were cheating, and people continued to cheat until it went away from that. Yeah. Do you think it was harder to regulate back then, though? I think it'd be just as hard now. Or maybe harder now, because everything's moving so much faster. You don't have the time to pick up guns between, like, games the same way, to slow things down, to check on things. I think some technology would make it easier that you could check things. Like, they tried the old robot and stuff in the MPPL days. But as good as technology gets to catch things, technology gets to hide them, too. Right. So, So I like the ramping, because I think... Being able to shoot fast and stuff is a is a skill set, is an advantage, stuff like that. But it's not like one of the ones I put like the most importance on. Like if you if you do it enough, you can shoot fast. It's it's right. whatever. But like the ones that actually put like effort and, and the ones that I think are more like skill based, like shooting accurately, shooting 
snap shooting fast, like being smart and having field mm-hmm. awareness and field vision. And I think it like eliminates that one, not fluky per se, but like the one thing that you can't completely contain and keep fair. And then mm-hmm. it allows you to showcase all your other skill sets. So, so I like the ramping and I like a slower rate of fire now because like I said, I mean, back then, like you remember, we had probably like a third of the bunkers on the field really. Mm-hmm. The lanes were huge, which in, in some ways, I always thought big lanes as a front player, I liked running through them more yeah. than a small lane because I thought a bad player through a small lane is forced to shoot a certain spot, right? And you're going through it, and, and then it's just like a coin flip of whether you get hit or get hit, like go through the gap of the balls. Mm-hmm. But in a big lane, you force bad players or someone who's just antsy or whatever just to miss their shot by being too aggressive, but they're trying to shoot too many or trying to follow you or lead you. Yeah. And, and you end up like you see it like it's going to be so easy to shoot this person but i always had better luck with this like huge lanes to run through but yeah but that's when people were shooting so fast i mean we would carry three i, I played with three pods from 2001 playing 10 man because i had to run so far and like, mm-hmm. and if you made it you got to shoot everyone <laughs> to the whole way up to like i probably didn't use more than three pods to like 2000 end of 2005 maybe yeah like like i carried three pods i would run and shoot to the corner if i made it Chances are I didn't have a mirror because the chances of both of you making it were so slim. And if right. you made it, you just ran down the field and shot everyone. And if you didn't, then you got to play another 49 minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's true. I mean, do you think well, uh, do you think that uh, regulating the amount of paint that you carry on the field, like to like, let's say like four pods or something like that? Because mm-hmm. uh, I was, I forget what I was. Um, let's see, I was watching a Rod at World Cup. And the majority of the time, I was watching that impact game. A Rod's going up the middle, which, as watching the field uh, naturally, I'm like, okay, he's going to eventually flow up there. But he's carrying like nine pods up yeah. there, and and I, I I was watching him make these moves, and, and some turned out good, but I felt like he was really fifty fifty at the event, and um, nothing against him. It was just kind of how I was observing yeah. it, and I'm like, man, if you would have if you would have made that move with like a half a step or a step sooner or something like that, like he's like, it just looked really heavy yeah. and really, so yeah, and maybe a, that's just me as a front guy. I'm like, I'm man, like, man, I agree too. And I've also been in your spot my pretty much my whole career, mostly playing front, but like yeah. it's cumbersome. It makes you slower, but more than that, I think it mentally makes you slower. Cause if you have that much, you go into things waiting to wait overly prepared being an opening. Right. Yeah. Not even overly prepared. It's just like, I have all this. I'm in the rush to do anything. Mm-hmm. It, it's you instantly True. get that in your head. You're like, Oh, it's not go time yet. I have all this instead of, I think like, like the best players, I think look for every opportunity. Cause like mm-hmm. windows open and close and paintball so quick. You just have to be willing to take anyone that presents itself. You can't just wait for one specific thing. So, right. So I think there's pluses and minuses to using limited paint. Like I played with it with only two pods in Europe, and, and that was pretty awful. Two pods, <laughs> yeah. Because like you spill a pod, whatever. You you shoot your loader off the brake pretty much. Like mm-hmm. you you spill a pod or two, and then you're out. Like it just mm-hmm. it it dumbed down the game enough where it changed the play style. But but I tried it with four pods for a while too, and I liked the four pods because I don't think it changed the flow of the game ninety percent of the time. Yeah. Like in general, four pods is enough to get done pretty much most jobs that you have to do. And most fields, like on average, you probably shoot 
four to five pods if you're staying alive the whole game right. and then it, that number goes down obviously because you get shot early one game the next game you might shoot sevens whatever but on average you probably shoot around four or five and just by eliminating the extra pods when a bad field layout comes out because you don't we don't no one practice on them before they get made mm-hmm. so it could be bad you know yeah you go out and you have an atlantic city type field layout where it's just horribly slow and it was like everyone's carrying 11 pods it's dumb but now yeah. that field layout if it's down to four pods you speed that up again so it kind of takes care of the bad field layouts but also doesn't change the good ones in my opinion yeah no, I definitely agree with that. I think it, I think it, it, it at least incentivizes uh, moves at least for at least mm-hmm. for front players, just for yeah, the yeah. simple fact of knowing that you can't, you have to still force the issue, meaning that you know you got to still do your job as a front mm-hmm. guy, but you also know that they're not going to, if they wanted to, they can waste a pod on some kind of bounce shot, but now they're down to three pods to maybe yes. do other jobs that they have to do too. So like they so might not shooting four pods at a bounce shot exactly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, or three pods through an open lane, or any of that. Like, yeah, you, yeah. you're playing paintball, you're forcing engagements. And that's what it's about. It's like a battle between a couple of people, whether it's outsmarting someone and, and being able to shoot them without them seeing you in their side stuff or just battling them heads on. It's, yeah. That's like an intelligent aspect, not just like, a, oh, I'm going to do this and hope you make a mistake into it. Right. Yeah. And I always, so. I always tried to play like a game within the game meaning like mm-hmm. i'm just trying to just shoot sure. as many people as possible with the least amount of paintballs as possible which sounds ridiculous like now like, paintball's like, free and I'm like yeah but it's I like it's some practices and stuff too, yeah. like sometimes just messing around yeah and i don't know why i i mean it, it was probably a little i mean i not that i wasn't taking the tournament serious it's just that that's what made it fun for me and i think in the same aspect made me sharper and more mm-hmm. accurate, for sure. Um, and I think yeah. that's why I kind of carried it over into the, onto the tournament side because I felt like I had um, a, a more positive outcome when I was when I was for playing sure. like that. And I think a lot of that too is just the team you're going to be on at the time, how you're doing and stuff too. Because when you're on excess and you're winning tournaments more regularly, you mm-hmm. probably wouldn't have been doing that because you're having fun in a different way, playing right. in a different way, it, it, like expressing yourself in a different way. But if you have it. Like I went and played on Miami Effect for a year, and we got stomped on for a while. Like it's, mm-hmm. it becomes less fun, and then you you try are trying to do other things. So maybe you're not going to win. You always go into games thinking you're going to win, right? But you do start messing around with other things and doing other things. I think, and I think that all really depends on like what your te- how your team the is situation you're you in into the situation. Yeah, yeah. But the one thing about paint that always bothered me is like they're like, well, with four pods, like you'll see players running out of paint a lot more. And I, I don't think that's the case because I think, mm-hmm. I think the players that run out of paint run out of paint whether they carry ten pods or two pods. It's because yeah. like if I start playing, I shoot a certain way when I have when I start a game. And then once I get down to like two or three pods, you shoot different. Once you get down to your last pod or your loader, you play a little different. Mm-hmm. It's the only players that run out of paint are the ones that don't adjust their game as it's happening. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. And I, you know because and good players do that a lot. It's just it just something i don't know yeah and and, you know and it is like uh i think it's more rare of guys do running out of paint though for the for the most part because i i mean for a i think you've gotten better at it yeah for for an average point which i think is around two minutes less than two minutes somewhere around that area 
I mean, four pods, five pods, I think is, is plenty to be able to get down to the nitty gritty, but then also like still be able to hold shit down. If it, you know, if it's a three minute point, if it's a four minute point, it's plenty to give you opportunities to win in different ways. It's not forcing you to one game style. Yeah. Which I like to see. I like to see those, the kind of different aspects of, you know, not having guys that are just loaded to the gills with, with pods and you have to fight through that. Not that that's not enjoyable. Like that's fun for me when I have to fight through somebody with, you know, I shoot yeah. two paintballs, he goes in and then I move down the field while he still has his 10 pods on. He's getting frustrated. You know what I mean? Which is like, it's yeah, like yeah. a little, Oh yeah. As a front guy. Oh yeah. I, I like that too, but that's field layout dependent then, right? True. The field bunkers are just set up a little different. And you can't wrap and can put that guy in with your two balls because you have to take four steps out of your bunker before his lane opens up to you, and then it's a ten foot lane. Right, but then it's more satisfying when you make it. Yeah, oh yeah, it's more satisfying <laughs> when you make it. But now you have no control over the situation. Right, it's a little more risky at that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, when you are when you're walking fields, how do you how do you do it? Do you are you more of like walking the spots that you're going to play, or do you walk the spots from the shooter's perspective? I do a little of both uh, on our team at least and I, I play kind of all the spots so I have to have a good grasp of the whole field so mm-hmm. really when I walk the field in an event I'm just checking to see how much different it is to any of the fields we had played at so far in the few weekends of practice and the weekdays right. so I, I look for any big changes or the similarities and I'm like oh this one's like that this setup, and it's going to play like this this shot's here this shot isn't here but I'll go before I do anything. I can just go to the back center. I just kind of look at the whole field, just get like a good mental refreshing of everything, soak it in, and then I, I walk to every bunker on the field and look at the shots. And and, and part of that's because yeah, I'm gonna end up probably playing on both sides of the field within the tournament. But I just like knowing what everyone's gonna do, kind of when I'm playing against them too, and like how strong they're seeing their bunkers and stuff. So I, I walk the whole field pretty pretty well. But it's not like a, a, a hard routine or anything, and not out there measuring things stuff it's just uh, just eyeballing it and walking it through and just kind of getting a clear view of everything now does uh for you is is bunker and shot retention fairly easy for you with how many spots you have to play yeah it, it is it, that, that always kind of came innately so i never really think about it that much but like i never have to think about it so i would have to say that it, it, it does come fairly easily because i never like struggle with like when I switch sides of the field or something or trying to remember how to play one spot. Yeah. And I think a lot of that too is, I mean, you just play for so long, you just are used to being in different circumstances and figuring it out as it happens. And that's just having good field awareness, good everything. So it's like when you're playing, yeah, you have to know how, how the bunkers are and stuff, but every little variable that changes, whether it's where they are, the players you're playing against the way they play, that mm-hmm. changes the way you have to play those spots too. So if, if you can't do that kind of like second nature, if you have to think about it when you do it, it just slows you down that much and you're missing your opportunities and, and you're not playing it right because you're always kind of a step behind. Yeah. So I think that's one of the things like better players, it, you have to have that like innate, like secondhand nature, just kind of feel of the game too. And I think that's where the experience comes in because looking at paintball as a whole and at least playing it as a player, uh, paintball is very repetitive. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, not just because of the X ball aspect, but just because paintball in general, like it's always the same thing. It's always you get to your spot, you wrap, yep. you check guys off and you go down the field like that's paintball on either yep. side of the field, you know. Um, and I think just the more reps that you get in doing that, 
and the more success you have doing that with the guys that you play with and even individually um the more you have that i think that's why some of the top guys even the, yeah. just the pro teams in general why there's such a uh, a distinct jump from semi-pro divisional yeah. to pro is just that that repetition uh base of playing and, and, and knowing the experience uh the situations yeah 100 percent. but i would i wouldn't say it's the repetition for that one instant instance you know what i mean mm -hmm. it's not the good teams and the good players aren't good on sunday because they played it 200 times before that that helps them yes right. but the good players are good the very first time they step on the field in the first practice the first day of practice against players that aren't as good because you you pick it up that much faster yeah and you're willing to you see it differently so you start making moves that other people weren't going to make and then you see other teams or players emulating them and then by mm -hmm. sunday it gets down to this like delineated essence of what is working for what has worked for the best players and the best teams across the league in all their practices and then in the tournament and then it just keeps diluting and dilu or it keeps getting stronger and stronger and stronger yeah. until by sunday you you just are down to yeah you're, you're kind of secondhand nature of what you're doing but everyone is the same way because whether it's the moves you thought of or the move you're emulating it's just it's happened so many times that you're put there but right. but those players were just as much better than another player i think in the very first point usually now, are you a proponent of keeping the uh the layouts two weeks beforehand or do you like the uh, the blind layout so i i see that both ways too so as a, a player if I'm, if I'm strictly speaking about how i would like to play it i would like there to be no layout because mm -hmm. i think that that benefits the people that can pick up things faster it makes the first games of the weekend more exciting as far as you're going to see a lot of crazier things happening and stuff like that now there are other sides of that argument though like if you don't have that layout up do teams not go to the fields the same amount do they start practicing less do the field owners start making less money or is it just is it just they're coming more because that could happen too they might be and now there's no layouts you go every weekend instead of just the two weekends before mm -hmm. does that put more expense on the teams that they can't afford so i see arguments for it both ways and i've seen good teams and bad teams like both ways <laughs> yeah uh, as a player i would like there to be no layout but like i wouldn't want us to have no layout and then divisionals to have a layout or something like that necessarily mm -hmm. because if you do that then you're never going to be wanting to practice any divisional teams. And sometimes that's the only, like, like that's the practice, the practice partners of a lot of pro teams. Yeah. So that makes it hard too. Like, so if you're, you're, even if they were playing like on the field, you just played on the next tournament, that's still hard for practices. It's hard for field owners. It's hard. And sometimes that's just planning too, because maybe it would work out the same, but now they're not getting those two influx of weekends where they know they're making extra money. Mm-hmm. But maybe they are making the same amount over a spread up amount of time. I, I don't know. There's definitely it's it's tricky when you look at it because the league doesn't do it. they they do it for the players. They do it for for the product they're putting out. But mm -hmm. they're also doing it for the industry. Uh, I think at least the league owners now. I mean, they they really care about the growth of the sport. So they always try to have like the field owners in mind, the the store owners, like the the team owners, the players. So it, it is a it's a they're having to please everybody. Different. Yeah, yeah, it's a push and pull of those dynamics and trying to decide what's best without really knowing. So you can, so, so I don't know. I don't. I don't really have the answer for that. <laughs> I, I played, started playing, ten man nationally. Played seven man expo, five man. Played a little bit of everything. And, and the way I look at it, it's, it's all tempo. It's all fun. <laughs> yeah, I I agree. You know, and I I thought of that too. 
um, because it was brought up about I think divisional or something is doing like no is blind layouts or whatnot. I'm not sure if they decided. I heard there were some rumors about that. Yeah, maybe know. it was just a rumor. Who knows? Yeah, a rumor is close to truth, I guess. Yeah, in yeah. some way. Um, it's it's usually a pasta feeler. That's what rumors yeah. usually are feelers. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I try and see both sides as well, but I always refer to, I guess, um, like when we didn't have layouts, we still played paintball, right? And and I, I can't say that would be the same if we didn't have blind layouts now. Uh, it would, because we've had them for so long, I think it would just have to be a thing of like, it going back to no blind, you know, no layouts and seeing what happens. But I don't, I don't think, I don't think the players would play less. I, I would see, I would see teams feeling the need to play more. Um, but I think as financially, I feel like, um, you know, I'm also speaking as a front guy too, because I, I don't shoot a lot of paint, but I feel like there has to be, you have to know your limitations and, and you have to be able to, do your job whether you have and this and this sounds completely you know probably shitty as a front player but you have to be able to do your job whether you have five six pods or you have yeah. seven pods or you have four pods right yeah, and if 100%. if you have to make it work with four pods i think just the in human nature and if you're willing to get better and, and you're and you're there doing the work i think whether you have four pods or eight pods i think you're going to be able to do your job um maybe even more efficiently. I don't know, but I don't think it's going to hinder teams from playing if there's no layout. I don't think it's going to hinder fields from uh, teams no. not going to the field. But that's also I, hearsay. Cause I mean your way, too. It's just you just don't know. You don't know. Yeah. And the one thing I'd say, too, is like I don't think it would change Sunday Pampaw. I think by then everyone's in it the exact same. So I think some of the nostalgia of people wanting the layouts, you're looking back at a time when we didn't have layouts, but we played like – 10 different fields in an event like that was fun you'd have to walk 12 fields because your schedule wasn't out yet you didn't know which four you weren't going to play on so we're playing so many different things you don't get to have rep on over rep after rep after Mm -hmm. rep on the same field so even by then like after a couple games in the prelims you're ready you're already dumbing your game down enough probably true so the no layouts might cause less moves because everyone might dumb their their things down to what's working in those first couple games and it might just turn into that for the whole event. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know, because it's not like it was before where we had to play, like I said, on all those layouts. So you play 10 different things. You couldn't memorize everything. You go out there and it's play it as you see it. You're kind of winging it. Yeah. Much. So yeah, you're definitely winging it. But but with a one-field blind layout, you're not going to have that same feeling, I don't think. Mm. Now that doesn't mean it's bad. I just don't think it's going to be what people remember. Right. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't know... I don't know if like the people watching would notice, but maybe may possibly the players would would notice on the field. Yeah, yeah, I think I think the players for sure would notice, uh, and then players who are watching would notice. Yeah, I think it's hard to watch paintball as is if you don't already play, just because it is like a glorified game of hide and seek with True. just a ton of adrenaline in it, like hide and seek and chess kind of combined with angles. And, with angles, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, but like we don't have a central focus on anything so it's hard to really see everything to, to really know what's going on in a paintball field you have to feel it you know yeah. you have to feel paintballs going by you at 205 miles an hour thousands of them on the field at once you have to <laughs> yeah. see the little angles and hearing sounds and like i never wear gloves so i like to feel the dirt in my hands or the mud through my fan the cold of the metal of the gun and mm-hmm. have all that things and you don't get that 
you don't get the intensity. You don't get all that from watching it, unless in, you're in person, you do, I think. Yeah. But, but when I watch paintball, I appreciate things like I see pieces moving and how, what I would do, and I watch the flow of the game, but you're still not like feeling the game the same way. Like in other sports, like, like hockey, if you watch hockey, I think you can you can kind of still feel hockey getting played. The flow, not to yeah. the extent of the players playing it, but you feel the emotion, you feel the hits, you feel that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and in paintball, you don't, so you don't, so you have to make it exciting somehow. And they've tried so many ways for filming it to make it better, but I, I don't necessarily agree with that either because I think you, the most important thing is make it fun for the player, right? Mm-hmm. That's how every sport, every successful sport worked out because people like playing it. People yeah. like playing it, more people played it, and then people know about it, watch people playing it, and then it becomes so common that you watch it because it's just second, it's just there. Mm-hmm. But no sport has ever been like, hey, let's make this so exciting to watch. Who cares about how it is to play? Like, bring the viewers first and then the audience. It just doesn't work like that. Like, and, yeah. and I guess the closest I could think of something that has tried that is like maybe like, remember like Slam Ball? Like that yeah. basketball with trampolines and stuff? Yeah. And that was like, cool oh, no, watch. shit. I thought you were, for a second, you know what popped in my head is fucking Taser Ball. Oh, Taser Ball was fantastic. <laughs> that was so much fun to play. Oh my God. I love that. Oh, I, I, ah, uh, shit, dude. I remember, I remember uh, hearing about it, and then I'm like, well, that sounds, I guess, interesting. And then I was watching, and I'm like, this is so ridiculous. Oh my god. I, I, heard, when I first heard about it, first thing I did was I called Leaf and both Eric. So I was like, how did you not call me to be in on this <laughs> instantly? But I was out at the second one, and all the ones they played after that, it was so much fun. Oh Jesus, dude. And I mean, the premise of the game was everybody on the field had tasers yeah. and you had a giant ball that you had to try and run down and throw into the other team's net. Yeah, so we were playing basically on like indoor soccer fields that that size. We were playing four on four uh, and it was made to be played with like line shifts like hockey. Mm-hmm. So you're coming on and off and it's constant action. We never had enough players where we could like get rested like that where we were doing like 40 <laughs> second shifts. So you mean not a lot of people signed up for like this? That. You know, you know... A lot of people did, and a lot of people quit real quick, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so every player has the has a taser, a stun gun, and then the ball itself was, like, a yoga ball size, but, like, thicker, and then had a covering on it. Mm-hmm. And that was way more dangerous than these tasers because you could check with it, right? Oh, and, and it had so much spring, and you have so much just momentum when you hit and you can get low and hit someone with that ball i mean we were sending people flying into hard soccer boards like plywood walls and just uh, definitely a few concussions stuff like that like the the ball and the checking was way more dangerous than the tasers ever were because all you had were were goggles on yeah we had goggles because they had like cameras in them and stuff and then like a couple people were like maybe like knee sleeves and then we had like yeah, basically just like short sleeve jerseys with like battery packs in them. So we had like because they would light up and stuff. So like you get hit in those sometimes they would hurt just as bad. And then yeah. just shorts and cleats. But yeah, so then the taser, not everyone could get tasered. Like you could only taser the person who had the ball, mm-hmm. or in front of the nets, like where like the goalie circle would be. Like mm-hmm. that was all the shock zone. So anyone in there could get tasered. The shock zone. So it wasn't, yeah. So like there was, there was still strategy and skill involved and stuff like that. And honestly, like the scare of electricity is way worse than electricity is. Like, yeah. It, it doesn't hurt that bad. Like, 
you know, tenses you up. It's just shocking, <laughs> like, <laughs> pardon my puns, you know. But it is. It startles you and stuff like that. More The sound of it's scary. And yeah. that's like some people, like, people would go and, like, always be, like, hitting their tasers, chasing people and stuff. But, like, I found the way they work the best is, like, if you just went for joints and stuff. Oh, and, yeah. And didn't turn them on first, right? So you hit them into, like, the creases of elbows, into the sides <sighs> of the ribs, and then you turned it on. But you made sure that those prongs were kind of embedded into their meat first. So then when you turn it on, the electricity is actually going through them and seizing their whole like arm or whatever you do it on. But when you do it first, the electricity kind of like pushes off of it. Right. So it wasn't like. And you might not have full contact. Yeah, exactly. Because you're like just kind of hitting and you're just kind of getting shocked with it as opposed Mm. to like you creating the the The, the the circuit. Yeah. 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 But it was the, the, the actual that was part was bad too because the tasers do have like little barbs on them mm-hmm. that the electricity goes back and forth from so you'd get hit with those we'd come up just like holes in us <laughs> like bloody and stuff <laughs> scratches so yeah like the ball and those little metal barbs were worse than getting getting shocked ever was jeez is that on youtube yeah there's a few on youtube like uh they're hard to find and stuff still like the the first few videos they made were on youtube and then we went and did a tournament in thailand with them which was crazy because we did it at night and it was 110 degrees and like probably 95 percent humidity and we didn't have enough players and that was like the most exhausted i've ever been probably playing anything yeah jeez. <laughs> granted we're partying some in thailand and stuff too and then you're going and running around for filming for five six games in a night <laughs> so that, that was pretty tiring so we did that film for a german uh television company once it was like these two guys go around and like play random sport or do random like bets with so they, they like the one guy had to come and play with us mm-hmm. and that got shown to like i think eight million people in germany like, oh, really? like their big show and then warner brothers we did like a exhibition for them and they actually bought the rights to it which kind of screwed it in the end because it had a lot of traction like the first video they put up had two million views in a week like it was getting shown on a lot of like shows people were talking about it on podcasts it, it was like pretty popular it's like it is fast as something can be mm-hmm. but then when word and brothers bought into it like they had other offers from like xbox wanted to do it for like a streaming service they were going to do i think spike tv wanted to have it on but warner brothers like kind of had the best offer they thought but really what it did is they held, held the rights to it for a year but then they ended up firing their whole television crew and hiring like a new manager and stuff like that. So they scrapped all the projects they were doing and did all their own new projects. Oh, jeez. Even that would be fine if they like give it back and let you do it to someone else. But they just hold on to it and they just held it for that entire year until it died. And, pretty much. And or it died, and then it's just too hard to pick up something that had already failed. You know? Yeah. So that kind of ruined it for that. And fuck, I didn't know it was that. Uh, it got out that much. Yeah, yeah, it was it was it was pretty good there for a while. I thought it had some potential. <laughs> Did you get to keep the tasers? Uh, no, I didn't ever keep the tasers, but they were just like you know Army Navy store kind of tasers. They weren't anything too crazy. <laughs> I got I still got an LA Night Lights jersey and a Philadelphia Kilowatts jersey for play <laughs> both teams. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's about all the memorabilia I've left from that. <laughs> um. Let's go back to paintball. Let's go to yeah, sure. uh, when you first started uh, discovering the game and and getting serious about it. Yeah, I guess, I mean, I started the way most people started as a birthday party. I've told the story before when I was 12 years old, you know, and I really did love it, like, right from the beginning. 
And then after that, like I got a Spider for Christmas that year, Compact B, started doing upgrades on it. Me and my friends like started our own little team. We'd play in our backyard, like in our woods, make fields up, go to local tournaments. Like when we'd find cheap ones that you could bring your own paint and stuff, like Mm. three-man tournaments, stuff like that. Did that from like, so I started in 97 until about 2000. So it was like three years just playing as much as I could, but being a little kid, not having that much money, you know, we're going out woods and like oh well 20 balls this game or that you know <laughs> and this is in pa right yeah yeah in pa so just uh, like an hour outside of pittsburgh at the time and just playing as much as i could which i was really lucky because like i ended up living like i started playing paintball before i knew anything about the all americans and smart parts or any of that but i ended up like really living 15 minutes from the original factory oh, wow. so after i found out about them and I was still probably like 13 years old I'd be always in the factory buying stuff just talking to being that kid stuff like that yeah being that kid yep. the annoying little kid but, <laughs> but also the kid that like really enjoys doing it and like, yeah. they see your passion in it and, and you like helping people that even if it's a little annoying at a time you like helping people to share your passion you just don't like doing it to people that are rude about it or right. obnoxious about it or don't know limits you know that's the only time it becomes an issue so then uh yeah, so in like 2000, I guess even before that, my, my grandma used to live on this little like stream and her neighbors, like she had two neighbors that both worked at Smart Parts at the time, one in quality control and one in sales. And somehow she ended up setting it up. So like a bunch of the All-Americans and all these two that like, came out to like little property they had. And that was the first time I ever shot free paint. Like they brought like all the oh, shit. stuff down. Like Karen Barber was there, Graham. So just John, randomly like, your grandma... Um, yeah, like yeah, had... she knew I liked paintball then, and then her neighbors like Crazy. worked at this paintball place. Yeah, yeah, so like that was an awesome time. Like I remember seeing Karen Barber's gear bag, and like who was like the first professional woman paintball player, and I think the only one still to this day that a lot of people don't know. People are mm-hmm. always like, "Oh, that that European girl played for the PP Arena." You know, she she was the first pro. I was like, "No, Karen won like world championships with the All Americans." Like she was. I n- I never knew. And, and most people don't. I, I think it's because all Americans, you know, were super nerdy and they, they weren't a big fan favorite outside of like, they were their own little yeah. niche. Like they were their clique and they didn't really care about anything else. They made good products, but the team didn't like try to be trendy or try to be trendsetters. They just were kind of their own thing. And But we're definitely potent in the in the league. Oh, they were they were great. I mean, yeah. Dynasty say, say they have the most wins of this day, but I mean, without the All-Americans playing in tournaments for 10 years, they, they had 50 stars on the back of Big Green on their truck, all wins before, like, I even started playing. So, like, the amount of wins that the All-American franchise has is it's crazy. So it just it's just a history I think a lot gets lost because, like, every region, you know, just – nothing gets lost if it happens in Southern California because you have a hotbed of players. Nothing gets lost if it's happening in Texas because you have that many people following it, all the media there, mm-hmm. everyone covering it. And with like a team like the Americans, yeah, they, they watch like the main events, stuff like that, followed Billy and Adam, but you just don't really know a lot about that unless you were kind of around it. I think I can say the same because I, even though I was in the Midwest, like I didn't really, I didn't really follow Aftershock all that much and I didn't really follow all Americans all that much. I was more, um, and, and also because the area, I wasn't like Chicago area. So I wasn't like always in Chicago for the all American stuff. But then I also wasn't really on so close to PA cause I'm still like four and a half 
five yeah, hours or something from there. So it's like I'm like right, right in the middle of everything of all like those pro teams. Yeah. And so the only thing I could really kind of relate to, or at least I attached onto, was the Dynasty squad because they were so young yeah. out of California. Um, and, it, and it sucks because I didn't really get to know the teams like I really want to now as far as like digging into history and whatnot and and knowing that there were such great teams and talent not only in Chicago and the West Coast but also on the the East Coast um, with with the All-Americans yeah and I think all the teams had such like a different flair whether you're talking about like the GZ guys and like their New York (laughs) yeah yeah. or like the All-Americans like I said were a little more like closed off to people or aftershock were just just bullies and like mm-hmm. all the teams around this area kind of had like that own unique vibe where like the california teams kind of did but they kind of all started like i don't know I, I felt like they were always trendier and they always were closer to each other mm-hmm. than other teams yeah do you think it was because they were, were able to play just year round i think it's probably because they played with and against the, each other as teams as, yes as, yes as well too. you just naturally kind of develop skills and patterns and just flows and your, your body positions. You just kind of naturally get those things when you're around other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Um, so you, uh, you, you're, you're playing, um, 97 to around 2000, right. And then, yeah. uh, your grandma gets the hookup, the major hookup. Yeah, yeah. You start seeing I- that this, that there's a whole world um, now ahead of you that you that you're wanting to learn about and dive into uh, where is your next step from uh, from from now I mean pretty much from when I started playing paintball I was like completely invested into it like I was reading every magazine I could watch watching any VHS tape I could watch and and it wasn't ever like just to see what pros were doing it was just kind of like I always wanted to see what I could do I wanted to know like how, what you had to do to be the best or like things mm-hmm. like that so I just kind of soaked in as much knowledge as I could that way and just reading things and and then in 2000 I was gonna go at the end of 2000 I was gonna play for a team called the Highlanders they were always on like the APG magazines and played the IAOs and stuff they were just like a local team but they were pretty good for like a local amateur team and that's when uh, Freak Factory formed so like oh, yeah. half the American twos dissolved like they took half the LAs too and then I just got picked up right when I was 15 right on the LAs too is like my first major team went right into ma so now how did you make that jump i mean you were playing for three years were you playing like because you you uh said you found it at a birthday party were you playing like yeah. in the woods or yeah mostly in the woods on like fields with spools i'd play on anything i literally just play whatever paintball i could whatever yeah. i could afford to play just just however i could play and then probably like two years mostly in the woods or like woodish fields local tournaments stuff like that and then, I mean, I kind of, and then I started practicing with some of all these two guys just because I started getting the 15. Some of them would drive me to the field, like Joe Richards and John Davis, Chris Davis, the Bump Brothers, you know, mm-hmm. and like Rich Bianca. Like, I'd, I'd go play with those guys just to, just like, jump in. And, and I got pretty good pretty fast. Like, for those back in those days, like, I probably just learned how to shoot left-handed and stuff like that. <laughs> but, like, but, like, every 10-man team back then needed, like, two kids, you know? Right. And, and if you were good enough to, and if you could, if you were fast and you were smart and you could suck it in and you were willing to not whine and complain and do kind of shitty jobs on the field and off the field when you're with a team, there were spots for you on those teams. And, mm-hmm. and I was, I just was around enough and I got good enough and was sh- like shooting them enough. I, I kind of got picked up right from like playing 
almost nothing like like I said a local tournaments but like nothing big to, to playing on like one of the top amateur A teams at the time so it was like a pretty big learning curve but I think yeah. that also helped me a lot in my career because it's like it either forces you to quit or forces you to become better fast and if you don't become better fast then you're not going to cut it you know yeah yeah exactly I mean I remember hearing about Free Factory and I remember that was a name that stuck in my head and that yeah. and then I, I remember seeing the free factory impulses and they were, they were really cool looking. Yeah, they were they were i was like i liked them because they were very um they were really streamlined like yeah. the uh like the die uh like the die angel like it doesn't have very much to it it just kind of has a few lines i thought that was slick i yeah, thought the I liked, free factory impulse was lines. yeah I smaller guns smooth lines nothing yeah. sharp nothing aggressive that's that's kind of what i always liked in guns so I thought that one was pretty cool, and they actually had, I think, the first sublimated jerseys too. I, th- I think so, and, and they were, like, and yeah, just like the markers, time, but, well, but just yeah. like the markers, they were like super simple. Yeah, they, they were, were like, like charcoal and like black fade kind of with like I think some like, I don't know, probably Chinese lettering at the time. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. It did, and then it had the, like the, it had the smart parts target on the like, front, and then the yeah. Chi- yeah, dude, I thought they were slick as shit. I remember. Um, I forget somebody had that jersey and I was I was like I was like fuck it that jersey is amazing that is so yeah. awesome the simplicity of it makes it so much better yeah that team was they they built that team to to win an amateur a and then go pro the next year and and they were pretty cocky about it all though and they had the more funding <laughs> than most pro teams at the yeah. time and like we had a pretty big rivalry with them obviously because they took half the guys that used to be on the lace too and yeah and they never they never were as good as they should have been now, what what names were on this team uh, at the time with you, that that some people might recognize? On the All A's too. Yes. Uh, probably not many that would people would recognize now anymore. But like I said, it was like uh, Joe Richards. Uh, he used to work at Smart Parts at like Renegade and do all the sublimation stuff like that. Mm-hmm. John and Chris Davis, who were the Bump Brothers, who grew up started on the All A's and All A's too from like the mid '90s. Uh, Rich Bianca, who used to own uh, Punisher's Paintball, uh, had uh, Sheldon and his uh, son, Sheldon Jr., uh, that were both just kind of East Coast Pennsylvania guys. We had yeah. and we had like Rock, who ended up playing for us, and then for Freak Factory later. We we just had a mix of like five guys from Eastern Pennsylvania and five guys from Western Pennsylvania. So no no names that people would recognize. Yeah. Still, like Graham Graham Easton was on the team, but he was kind of as I came on, he was still on the team and really involved with it. But he kind of stopped playing as much with us then, and just kind of went into a coaching role. So like, I mean that was. 20 years ago now so i understand that yeah. in sports that's a that's an eternity like i couldn't mm. tell you who was on half of the major four like professional sports <laughs> teams or what was going on at that time so yeah yeah it was uh man i just keep thinking about it. like uh, i remember having a um a freak junior mm-hmm. on my on my 98 when i played on tip and effect it had like a oh, like yeah. a teardrop kind of tip to it but it had just oh, like yeah. the all black back and I, those were those were sick, man. I, like that's the one thing that I do tip my hat with Smart Parts, um, and even with DLX, is that they have the just the streamlined simplicity. I still say to this day one of my favorite markers ever, and I think the ult, one of the ultimate markers and the most simplistic and ultimate markers was the the SFT. Oh, it was, a, it was a great gun, and especially for the time. If you look yeah. at it like size wise, comparison to everything, but also the way it shot, like. 
a lot of guns to this day use similar like shooting platforms as it and still aren't as small and like and mm-hmm. like yeah we they were more fidgety than things are now things have gotten better with with time and our technology has yeah. gotten better but like for the time they were definitely groundbreaking and i think and, and like people still emulate a lot that they did yeah yeah there was there was one thing that i i i, I think about it now and i can understand it but back then when feednecks were threaded I was like, I never understood. I was like, because I always see people snapping them off and like, it, they were just terrible. And I'm like, I think about it. I'm like, okay, well, why didn't they just do the little nub and then like the little clamping feed neck on top of that so that you're, well, you're not, but thinking about it, they were, um, they didn't, they weren't 3d milled. They weren't no, 3d no, no, no. CNC'd. So they had to be, they had to be machined from that solid block, uh, round stock. They could have still been threaded. <laughs> Yeah, we were epoxying them. It was the most ridiculous. Oh, that's thing right. Ever. That's right. They were epoxied on. Like Feednex, <laughs> that was that was just I don't know. All the companies back then just cheaped out. I don't know why they didn't do it better. But but yeah, epoxied on Feednex were ridiculous. You have a high torque, high tension area with the most weight that's getting shoved Top around end. when you're yeah. snap shooting. It, it made no sense to have it. So <laughs> threading the feed neck was always the way to go. Wouldn't have been that much harder for them to do then. Yeah. No different than threading a barrel. But, but even uh, then it was like it was it was a lot smaller uh, threads per inch. And then well, on top of that, like you don't even have it was a lot smaller thread per, threads per inch, but then also the thread length itself was so tiny. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because like I said, they went away from epoxying them on. Yeah. So like any thread's going to be perfect. We right. don't need to go. And it's not like there was a lack of metal because guns were big back then. Like, oh my god. They had plenty of space, plenty of things to do. Just, well, look at the shocker, the uh, the shocker before that, the mm-hmm. shoebox. Yep. I mean that they should they could, they should have called it the brick, not oh, the shoebox. And I I was like a pretty small like. 12 13 i was seizing one of those for a little bit and like mm-hmm. it was bigger than me like <laughs> and you're using it with like co2 sometimes oh with an anti-siphon God. in it you're it's just so much heavier so much bigger than it is now mm-hmm. and then so also guys were they were using them without front grips oh yeah that was just ridiculous <laughs> <That's> so <laughs> crazy fucking james bonds out there oh my god dude. um <laughs> it's crazy though but i think I, like too like people Back then, like they were, they were, they were literally inventing everything that happened. Like all the manufacturers yeah. back then, so maybe they didn't realize they were all players. So I think they should have known what was important. But <laughs> we're also transitioning from a time where remotes were common to this. Like, yeah, technology was changing so fast that I think people just it took a little bit of time for them to really know what the features were that were what were and were not needed. You know, because vertical feeds weren't even common until true. Like, mid to late 90s i mean it was all power feed or regular feed and elbows and do you know the reason behind that why it started as an angle feed rather than a vertical feed i'm not 100 percent sure but as far as i was aware it was it was vision related you know how could you shoot accurately if you can't see through it <laughs> oh my god and why would i why would i even think about shooting left-handed when i could just yeah and you know you have two eyes so that they can ancillary cancel things out so you can see through things that's how vision works <laughs> like i can still see you it's crazy <laughs> works, it's you know? it's crazy um you know i always think about that too because i don't know like i don't know if it's because of of the position that we can look at it from 
but some of the stuff is like like how did that not like come up on the conference table of like hey maybe we should try i mean eventually obviously it did but i'll tell you one like speaking of feedbacks one thing that i was completely wrong about <laughs> was because you know they'd ask me my opinion on if i thought something was good or not and at the time we were using the ccm feedbacks and they had like the twister yeah. feedbacks out at the time so those were like the first adjustable feedbacks before that it was like you had nothing you're sanding down your hopper putting a yeah. piece of paint bag like in there fit. piece of cardboard if you were really sweet drilling the sides and putting little set screws in it <laughs> but like but eventually adjustable uh, feet necks came out and they had the twisters which you could tighten they had like a little delron sleeve in but like mm-hmm. it still kind of slid around i didn't like those and then the ccm came out and i was like oh this is so simple it's perfect yeah equal on both sides like i was like uh, you don't need anything other than this and the one day they came to me and we we're like, hey, Adam was like, hey, I want you guys to use this uh, Q-lock thing we made, and which is like the lever feed neck that yeah. everyone uses now, right? Yeah. So the one engineer at the time, uh, Glenn Perry, he's the guy who made like the gadget grip and stuff, like the grip that was on the shockers that was the barrel plug was in it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> which were awful because you could never tell and you'd shoot them and lose them forever. <laughs> but they were really cool looking. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, they came up and he's like, and he rode bikes a lot, and that's basically the, the front wheel that is the same as like, or just like the seat, yeah, and stuff, the riser and stuff like that. So he's like, I don't know why we're not using something like this. So they made it, they made the first ones, they gave them to all of us on Philly. They're like, hey, try these, and we all had them. Our guys were like, these are awful. They're like, what do you mean? We're like, well, it's like the gun on your left side. I, I don't see it on. My right side, it's there. I was like, I just don't like that it's not uniform. And like Tim was saying, we were all like, it's just, that's just not something I'd use. The CCM is fine. And then like 15 years later, literally every single mid to high-end gun has them on. So. <laughs> that's, funny. that's the other thing too. Like people always said like, get mad about the gardeners for patenting their ideas and stuff like that. But like for one, that's just protecting yourself. But like, they don't patent all the ideas. A lot of the things that people are still using in the game today are things that they came up with, like like the Q lock. That they were like, no, this will be better for the sport if if everyone can use it. Yeah. And then there's other times that you have to protect your ideas and end up getting in law battles that cost you way more than you would have lost if you didn't. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's one thing I do remember is is uh, a, growing up is hearing about a lot of smart parts lawsuits. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know why that just stuck in my mind, but it was just like yeah, it because it's so. I think there were so many there. There were so many people uh, creating things at the time mm-hmm. that it was. Just, and you know, obviously, if you have something that's out already and people are taking it, then or people like like the biggest one like it happened with like uh, Indian Gun Designs first, whatever. But the biggest one was really between WDP and Smart Parts. You have the two biggest manufacturers at the time both saying they created the electronic marker at the same time, both trying to patent it. So it wasn't like, it wasn't a battle of like, oh, we're just making sure no one could use it. It's like both people are trying to do the same thing, but only one of them really did create it, you know? Mm -hmm. Crazy. And uh, taking it back to the the feed neck thing, I remember having to get, because I still have my Revy from fucking 2001 or 2002 or whatever. You remember the, uh, the die inserts? in those so it looked like a it looked like a fat silver ring that you would actually insert 
into your uh yeah the neck of your loader and then you would put it on so then when you clamped it down the the walls of it were so thin on the loader that it wouldn't crush it and you actually could yeah. like get it nice and tight to where it wouldn't yeah, spin. Yeah, that makes sense because I, I never knew that the Rebbies had them. I guess by like I think two thousand two, uh, all these two were we were sponsored by Ricochet. So we had those oh ones with God, like all the right. angles and stuff. So I quit using a Revy pretty early, but I remember those inserts. Uh, Travis made them for Infamous with the prophecies, and I ended up having to use them the year on Impact that I was using that prophecy loader because I yeah. literally would break four of those necks a uh, tournament. I was like, "This is horrible." I was like, "It's plastic <laughs> that literally made it from like eggshell plastic that just yeah. snaps off." And eventually, they gave me this like aluminum collar. They're like, "This is supposed to just be for them, but I guess you can have it." I was like, "You can just give me six shells in a vent. I don't know." Yeah, yeah, like, choose. Yeah, give me this. Give me the stupid aluminum insert so I don't break this every time I play. Was it the prophecy that turned into the pulse? No, no. the The pulse was out before either okay because the pulse came out must have been like 2000 and the rotor came out in 2008 right yeah i, I believe so yeah so the pulse probably came out in like 06 07 something there and it, that was because it had that giant back that you couldn't see past like that was actually yeah. that was like playing with a clipboard in front of your face I think... fast. <laughs> they were really fast i yeah because i think i i first saw them when i was on avalanche and that was 2007. So yeah. I think that's, yeah, I think it was around around then. Um, yeah, I remember Ricochet, man. Those things were like the pointy noses. And uh, like yeah. I, I've never they really like saw it ever yeah. Ricochet. Uh, no, I mean, you'd have to have pretty hard paint. <laughs> but like pretty much everyone made fun of them when they first came out because everyone was still using Revis and they're rounded. Mm-hmm. They look, it's just what people were used to looking at, right? Yeah. And then now almost all loaders look like the Ricochet. <laughs> Yeah, getting and very, very close. Anything about that, like, yeah. Whether it's a spire, like a spire, very similar to that, the front, the way it the all angles. And... Mm-hmm. Yeah. One that I wasn't I wasn't too fond of, I used for a little bit, and it it was okay, was the egg. Oh, yeah. I never used one, and, and I'm glad because they looked atrocious. atrocious. It looked like exactly between, how it like, sounds. The, between the loader like between the feed neck being so far forward and mm-hmm. being so round and the stupid lid on it was like that hinge like just half snap leg, off Pac-Man face constantly like, and they were just it was just they were made all wrong <laughs> they weren't made mm-hmm. to, to last uh the you know the loader actually that that was really really nice and I can't think of the fucking name of it right now but it was it was actually really nice and and worked really well and I think it was one of the first that worked on like uh pulse modulation where it was just like sitting there um was God, it was torque. on um i was on excessive was it the torque no no it was before the torque okay it was before the torque and i think it i think evolution made them so it wasn't the it was after the egg okay it was 2006 i, think I, I remember say. what you're talking about but i don't remember the name of it's it it's kind of a, it was kind of more of um almost like a um, what are the not the bunker king loaders, but the the um control? Yeah, those are the control. But who, the the company that never fucking mind the the uh but the nose kind of looked like a ricochet oh. at the time. Oh. Okay. And then the and then the back was like 
kind of uh kind of not rounded but like cylindrical because of the the actuation in the middle but those actually shot really 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 well and i never really had any kind of problems with them besides like here or there like some battery issues but i think it was more or less like a soldering thing on the boards but other than that like those things i wish i knew the damn name um were actually like halfway decent to torque though i remember i remember hearing about the torque i used one uh they they sponsored me the one year i got 100 loaders to use it for the year oh my god it was a good sponsorship but then like a world cup came along and then the rotor came out (laughs) and then the rest of my team had rotors except for me and ross o'rourke and we're like kind of wish i had that right now uh what what has been your marker um what has been your favorite marker throughout the years lux by far like and that i know that sounds jaded because but i would have said that if i was on a different team right now and and a lot of that's because i mean i grew up in the smart parts family so i used impulses i used four by four shockers i used sfts i used nxts and when the when they were first brainstorming for the Lux, it was like a roundtable meeting. They took all the ideas, the ergonomics we all wanted, and, mm-hmm. and created the gun we wanted. So it was like we had every bit of say to in it when that marker was created. So I think in 08 when it came out, it was so far ahead of everything else. And, and to this day, the ergonomics are pretty much identical, and it just feels – I've played with it for so long. Mm-hmm. It just feels like a second extension on my body. And the different generations, some shoot different, some whatever, but just pretty much any of them. I just love the way they feel ergonomically in my hands. Technology is always good in them. I think they're always pressing, pressing, like, on the forefront of uh, of design. Mm-hmm. My, now, my favorite one I have ever shot was was my American flag one, luckily, because it was the coolest looking one. But it no, was also slick. by far the, the softest shooting gun I ever shot. Like, it, it felt like it wasn't even shooting paintballs. It was, like, one of those guns you couldn't miss with. Mm-hmm. Like you just are like, oh yeah, this is nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then on top of that, a freak barrel or whatever it was at the time. I always remember uh, one of my nicest shooting barrels was the freak with the uh, all American front. It was my yeah. favorite anyway. I always had that on my SFT, and I, I thought it just looked fucking sweet. Yeah. And then you get the the aluminum uh, wear on the oh, tip, yeah. and I was like, Dah. especially with the SFT because yeah. those the anodizing would wear off those faster than most guns, and a yeah. lot of people thought it was because it was like. Uh, bad anodizing or cheaper aluminum but actually they were using a higher grade aluminum that the anodizing didn't stick in as good so, so it was denser yeah so they eventually went away from that because people kept thinking it was a cheaper product because it would wear away like that even though it was a better metal i thought it was sweet i did too i love yeah. that i love the wear that you can see it's been used but i'm the kind of player that like uses a gun i, I get a gun and i will i get other guns but i sell all my new ones yep. i keep the one gun i like because I want it to shoot the exact same every time I pick it up. I want to not think about my gun. I want it to just, just be what I'm ready for. And there's, if you have a gun that's shooting really good, why go to a new one and just relearn it? Even if it's a slight difference, it's still different. So, so I'll use the same gun from the time a new model comes out until the next model comes out. Yeah. Like, so I like the wear and stuff too, which is good because if I didn't like that, then I would be upset that I had a bunch of worn out guns. Yeah, yeah, that's and you know I feel the exact same way. I was I was shot a marker all the way through the year like until we got a new set. My mind boggles my mind when players change their gun every event. Oh, dude, I, I, yeah, I have no just idea. And, players to do it though, good players, and I'm like, I I just can't even comprehend it. Yeah, and to them it's probably no big deal. Like no, whatever, I get them. So, um, 
and I don't think it's an it's not a knock on Planet Eclipse. Um, I just like for me, just personally, how I felt. I don't think it was till like mid season until I really felt like the marker was shooting at its best. Like there's like a breaking period. I don't know if it was the same way with the Lux or not, but I felt like there was. I, I almost never liked shooting a brand new marker because I knew I had to put it through the breaking period to really get it to the point where it was like nice and just yeah. gritty enough for myself to be for able sure. to like shooting at where I want it to be. When I first got on impact, like I had, I started using the egos and geos and stuff. And the one thing I noticed about them is like some days you'd pick them up and at their best, they shot every bit as good as my Lux or something mm-hmm. else. But like every other day I'd pick it up, it would shoot different. And I, all of mine were always like that. And I'm, they're probably not like that anymore. And I'm not talking down on them at all for what they yeah. are. They're a great company that make great products. But that's just what I noticed at the time. There wasn't like a consistency from day to day. Yeah. And that always kind of bothered me about it. And sometimes, like I said, I pick it up. I'm like, Ooh, what kind of gun am I going to shoot today? And I'd be like, oh, it's nice. Yeah, I've, <laughs> I've had. Like, oh, this is going to shoot bad all day. <laughs> Yeah, I've heard I've heard uh, you know some people say that. I've had really good luck with a lot of my um, the LVs that I've shot. I've had really good luck with them. I've also really enjoyed maintaining mine, so I always knew how they would shoot. I I, I would very rarely change the O rings, but I would always make sure that they were greased and f- like free of yeah. internal dirt. Um, yeah, for sure. And that way I kind of kept a consistent shot, but it was until that mid season, I think when the wear rings and everything and the O rings would wear down to a point where it's like butter smooth where I want it. Oh, 100%. And, and, and perfect. Um, and I'm, I'm a lot the same way as you, as far as that goes. Cause like I used to even run the tech department at smart parts when it was still smart parts and stuff. So like I'm pretty mechanically minded. I know how the guns operate and stuff like that. So I know what parts need to be greased, what parts don't. Like yeah. sometimes you watch people, you're like, well, you're just greasing the shit out of this non-moving You're part. greasing like, the tip of the bowl. <laughs> you know, what well, you're just clogging everything up. Like, yeah. But as long as you know what to grease and what to do, you keep, like you said, dirt and debris out of it. I, I never change my O-rings. O-rings no. wear in and get nice. I mean, unless they're not sealing, they're working. Right. So you want it to be smooth. You want it to be good like that. Even like sometimes I'll drop my gun off at tech if i just want some stuff small done at a tournament or something mm-hmm. and i'll be like do not touch the o-rings i know you're gonna want to i know they're gonna look dirty <laughs> but they're the ones i want in there they're the ones i picked out from the smoothness i want yep. like, oh my god dude one time i got my marker back i because i i never i rarely ever took my marker to attack i i was always i i just enjoy the simple fact of knowing my marker inside and out and being able to work on it myself and you trust yourself, and if something yes. messes up, it's your fault. And yeah. I'd rather something be my fault than if it's within my realm to fix, I'm going to fix it myself. Yeah, dude, I always, I always, uh, and I always got shit because I like to tinker with my stuff. Not to a point where I'm like an autococker guy, because I'm not, because mm-hmm. I don't like autocockers. Um, but never, I've never played in a tournament with one. No, you don't have to. It's, it's no am. big deal. Um, <laughs> the. Uh, but I would always, whenever I got, uh, when the LVs came along, I would always tear them down to bare bones and then rebuild them. And just so I knew the guts and, and the, how they operated. No matter if it was like the first ones that came out or the very last ones that came out or, or the, um, the last time I played with one. I always tore it down, built it back up, and just maintained it just because I like yeah. tinkering. Um, but, but you were probably always like that. Like you yeah. like to take things apart and put them back together, and, and you didn't just like, oh, I don't know how to do this because you took it apart. You see how it goes together, you put it right back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
Yeah, but but for me, the, I think one of the reasons why I didn't like autocockers is because they were so finicky, and that yeah, like, like trying to take those apart and put it back together and, and just kind of small intricacies that could change anything with them. As there are there are a lot. Even just general cleaning, like oh, yeah. just not even not even like a hardcore teardown, like just general cleaning. I was like, that's too much of a pain in the dick for me. It's to crazy do that. to me that the shrouds become like faux pas. Like that made the most sense to me. Is like yeah. to have this cover over all these wires and barbs and pneumatics <laughs> like they used to have a cover and then everyone's like no we don't want that <laughs> yeah yeah because I, I mean that was one of the things that probably shot in those hoses so oh my good. god dude i get fucking mad when i get shot in the trigger oh yeah like that, that was one like you can you can shoot me in my loader and everything like that kind of sucks but yeah. like you can, usually you can take the, the you know the loaders are so advanced now you can pretty much yeah. tear them all like the way down in two seconds screws like yeah, dude. Yeah, I'm trying to get in there, and now you have that that string of paint that happens between your trigger, and your, your, your or a shell that's stuck in there, and it sticks sometimes. Oh, dude, it sucks. But I mean, that's why I always was surprised when some players like everyone has their own way of when you get shot to like leave a bunker. Mm-hmm. The players that wave their guns out and just stick it out it just boggles my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I will put my hand out and my head before I like. I'm like yeah. hiding my marker. Yeah, you, you have the hand people. Like Jason <laughs> Edwards is a hand person. He gives the little wave. Yep. I don't like doing that either because I don't like getting shot in my palm. <laughs> Ooh, I've, yeah, yeah. I just kind of creep out. You know, I get shot. I just creep away. You just creep out and then yep. you're out of it. <laughs> yep. You're going to get shot one way or the other. It's just I, I'm not sticking my gun out because I don't want to clean it. I don't, no. I'm not, not sticking any part out slow. Yep. I haven't seen the middle yet. finger yet. I should see. Like the middle finger coming out like first. Twelve on sportsman like Conda. <laughs> I will say I'm really happy with the NXL is like allowing players to have some personality again. Like oh, there was a yeah. lot there. There's like that five year period where you couldn't like ask where you got hit. Like you couldn't do anything. You couldn't walk by and like say something. Like mm-hmm. it, they just kind of like neutered the personality out of the game. And I yeah. thought that was a shame. And and I'm glad they're allowing players not not to get ridiculous about it. You can't be yelling in rest face. You can't right. be pushing. You can't do stuff. You can't be slowing the process down but they're at least letting people be animated now and I, th- I think that's good that's probably one reason why i might come back yeah do it man <laughs> there's no reason not to i'm sure you're still fast enough i don't know i mean these... and the slower you get the smarter you usually get too so you just your timing gets better so i'm hoping that's the case <laughs> <laughs> i really am um fuck. uh have you played any of the 10 man events or anything like that I have not recently because of the, the you know you know that I don't know if you heard about it but there's like the COVID thing. I um, haven't about it every day of the last year. Uh, dude, yeah. So I think I'm, we're going. To, it's almost March. We'll be out of that lockdown soon, right? Two weeks it was. Something like that. It wasn't. It wasn't they that long. March. In March, yeah. they told us it was going to be two weeks. <laughs> yeah, dude. It's really kind of hindered everything for me as far as like, like playing paintball for sure. Um, when everything first started closing down, but. I think everything's starting to slow down a little bit more and paintball in general. I can, I can social distance. So when the weather gets halfway decent here, which it looks like it's slowly starting to get, I'm going to start playing down level up more. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, Panda's got a nice field down there. Huh? I yeah, dude, it's awesome. Um, yeah, I'm going to start playing with, uh, playing with those guys a little bit more whenever they have practices, go down there and play. Sure. And then, um, I'm still not going to, uh, train jujitsu just because that's, that's a little bit closer in distance. Yeah, yeah with people so but uh I but I, the one thing we're lucky about with paintball is that it's outdoor like most of yeah. you know because mm-hmm. i don't think they've really had any proven 
cases of transfer per, like person to person outdoors yet. So yeah. I think like they say this like sunlight and just that actually kills it. A lot of things you can't stay on surfaces outside, and a yeah. lot is obviously been proven. But like you look at World Cup, I remember just the amount. There's still a lot of people there, and everyone's like, "Oh, it's going to be a COVID outbreak, COVID this, COVID that," and, yeah. and there wasn't anything after it. I didn't hear an issue with anyone, and that's because you're outdoors. Where people are catching it is at bars. You're next to people talking right at their faces, breathing. So like, like you said, like jujitsu, if someone had it and you were rolling with them, you would get it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Off, you're getting spit particles, stuff like that. But if you're outside, like, even if I see you without a mask, like, a couple feet away, like, for a brief time, it, it doesn't seem like it's a big deal or else I think it would have spread a lot more. Yeah. Yeah, you, you can't go doing who's – the, who's the Boston player? Was it Brad, the hockey player who went around licking people for that short period of time? Marchand? Was the, yeah, yeah, Marchand definitely licked some people. <laughs> I thought you were talking about the basketball player. I forget. I think oh, he no. was a Boston player too. But there's a basketball player, that, right when COVID started, was like joking about it and doing an interview, and he's like started coughing on the mic and it was like making a mock of it. He ended up having COVID and spread it to a bunch of players on his oh, team. God. It was like the first team that had to get shut down because of it. Because oh jeez, that's so insane. Yeah. But yeah, once <laughs> once the once the weather starts coming around, I'm gonna start playing some more down there. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, just I miss it, man. I I just miss the sport and everything. And I don't I don't have anything but an emac now too. So like I I'm gonna be playing and practicing with that, which is a hundred times. So much fun, though. Oh, dude! All it's... the new mechanical guns, whether it's the emacs or the 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 new shocker amp mechanical is mm-hmm. absurd. I've been messing with that a lot at the factory and can fan it probably shoot it like 20 miles a second some but it's like really shooting it's still like they just shoot <laughs> so smooth like way better than mechanical guns ever did so yeah. beyond pain. like you're like oh i can't like you don't need eyes with them somehow like they're just so gentle so good mm-hmm. they're so much fun to play with and the nostalgicness of hearing it click and then hearing things hit hyper well pipe and hearing yep, yep. it's just it's and like these 10-man tournaments they're one of my most fun things to go to because like it's like going in a time machine. I see like all the old guys that like I saw playing pro back then, and yeah. they're still the same guys. But like kids, as soon as you start playing paintball, it just brings out that like childish behavior in people in the, in a good way. It, it, like mm-hmm. see like people that like look like rugged or had issues in their life or whatever, and then they instantly you're on a paintball field and it just brings smiles to the faces. And, yeah, and there's not the same competitiveness this in that as there is in the nxl so like people i don't know man i that, that might be arguable there is but it's different like people yeah. are spending all day at the field that people are having beer still they're talking with each other you're talking it's not like yeah. used to even like i i wouldn't have been playing for a different team and went and hung out with some shock guys for a little bit and True. had a beer with them in between games i mean is it still competitive that all these people are still competitive people so yeah everyone wants to win mm-hmm. everyone's trying really hard everyone's doing it but it's it's more of a fun competitiveness. There's no weight. There's, yeah. There's, yeah. It's, yeah. And, and speaking it's of 10 men. People are doing it because they like love to do it. They're not doing yes. it because they're going to be the best at something again. They're not going to get back in the pro leagues. They're not going to do that. They're just really enjoying the thing that they grew up loving. And they're happy that they still have the opportunity to do it. Yeah. Yep. And uh, speaking of 10 men, were you around, um, which I'm sure you were, when Tim was – you know, dwindling with the idea of the uh, of the Iron Man or the uh, Iron City Classic. Oh yeah, hundred percent. He uh, so we years and years before he ever came up with the idea, we would we were playing ten man in uh, a league called the SPPL, 
which there was like three flags and they played hour long games and you reinserted like every 10 minutes and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And it was like 10 man still, but it was like more scenario type people. And we'd go to these events and like health survivors and play on like some of their like iconic fields. Mm-hmm. And I remember like the first one we went to, we went and played as like smart crew. It was like a bunch of like either current pros or like the older pros. And the people were like, oh, you guys won't even know how to play in the wood. Like, all these guys have won championships in the woods. <laughs> and then they're like, okay, you guys are pretty good. Like, we never lost one of those. And then that went away, and Tom Cole started the UWLs. We played in those, won a bunch of those. Mm-hmm. And then Tim played, the, I think, the Gunfighters one eventually. And he was just happy that all these people were making these 10-man-type events. But he thought that he could improve on it. And, I mean, mm-hmm. he obviously did. He, he wanted to make it so that it was more of like a festival atmosphere. He wanted to make it where it was like the pass where you go and it's an event you're going to, you're not going to play some games and leave. And and a couple of things that he really did that were huge was uh, at at the time people were either just mech or that that was it. So it kind of limited, there wasn't as many mech markers at the time. So people were using older guns, stuff like that. And one of the smartest things he did is he came up with the idea to, to limit uh, allow le- electros but limit the rate of fire on them mm-hmm. and we fiddled around with different speeds and stuff until we came up with 5.5 because we wanted it to be good enough that you could compete but we wanted it to be still a deficit if you were using electro on a marker like you we wanted uh, the mechanical marker to be the advantage right and not the issue so you could compete with the 5.5 marker but you can shoot faster at the mechanical. Mm-hmm. But if you have a fragile paint, maybe you want the electric. But now he opened it up to way more players. You didn't need a whole different set of gear. You could go with your gun and play 5.5 and jump on with these other guys. Yeah. And then that got more people playing and more people really enjoying it. And now companies started manufacturing more electronic guns for reasonable prices and across the whole gallery of price points so that different players could get them so now there's more opportunities for people to do it and that all kind of came up out of that because before people were making these events and they were just prohibitive to play in because of the rule set and because of the availability of things and and one of the things tim did best always i mean he was a a very business-minded person and and he had a really uh keen marketing sense and he knew that he could market an event well and Mm -hmm. so he took a few good ideas to improve upon things that people were doing for for years but in a dwindling dying fashion like go to some of these events it'd be eight teams at 10 teams at whatever and he grew it into not only an event that he had for himself that had over 100 teams but also now the nxl has their own league there's other leagues there's one-off tournaments everywhere and now there's might be more woods tournaments right now than there are hairball tournaments like and and that was all because he just saw something that he wanted to improve upon he knew a few ideas that he could do to improve upon it and he knew how to market those ideas well and leverage his friendships and his vast network of players to get them involved because he knew he brought people in that they would fall in love with it just like he did. And and me and him were on a lot of the same mindset. It was people were so like gung-ho about this is the right way to play paintball. This is the way we have to do it. We have to put all our energy in this. We can't divert our, our mindset. We got to just all focus on this or that or this. And me and him were the same way where it was like, hey, no, all paintball is good paintball. If you want to grow paintball, you make it so that there's more opportunities for people to play. Mm-hmm. There's not one right way to play. There's not one right wrong way to play. Make you, more paintball. You make more paintball, and then different demographics can play, different age groups can play. 
And, and the more people that are playing, the more people like PayPal, the more PayPal grows, the more the businesses do well, right? Mm -hmm. And so his role at DLX and uh, Shocker at the time, and they, it, it helped that, and with GOG making the enemy and stuff like that, it helped that his event growing helped the business too. Yeah. So it was just, it kind of, he just brought it up at the right time and, and honestly, it's one of the coolest things because the from the very first Iron City to all the ones that played, like to see, like uh, there's the teams that had three generations of players, like grandfather, father, and son, all playing on the same team, all having fun, all competing, mm -hmm. and, and that's was really cool. It's seeing all like the legends that I grew up watching and, and respecting come up and and just so thankful almost in tears telling him how much they appreciated him bringing it back like all that seeing how much it meant to other people and feeling how much fun i had playing it i just knew I mean, he was onto something special and, and the way it grew i think showed that and the way people still appreciate it and look at that as as the pinnacle of that style is uh is an honor yeah and and even to elaborate on that is you know not only him bringing just bringing it up to the forefront but also running it well, mm -hmm. you know, nothing against anybody else who, who who's doing it uh, against Tom Cole or anybody, but that's, that's one of the main things that I heard people talk about when they were talking about the, uh, the iron city classic was how well and tight it was run. Mm -hmm. And I think it, it just showed, uh, who Tim was and Tim's personality, um, mm -hmm. in paintball format like that, like just in that format and how everything was run, how, how just, in line because he was just so technically savvy on right. what he did and he was just so well-minded with it and such a goofy asshole too like oh, be, goofy. like he, <laughs> he could be he could be so technical and so just straight to the point at times and then on the other hand just be off the wall just crazy person it was it was and i think that's why so many people were able to relate to him Mm -hmm. I, I agree and he was passionate about it I mean if you're yeah. truly passionate about something and you're doing it for the right reasons then that shows too and mm -hmm. like you said he, he did run it excellently and he made sure that he didn't squander the opportunity that he made himself with it like yeah. you, you can come up with the right ideas but if you don't perform them then it'll die the same way the ultimate taser ball died right <laughs> yeah. like, you can have a good idea that fails or you can have a good idea that you make sure succeeds. And, and he put a lot of time and effort. And, and, and the one thing he did great was he asked people's opinions. He, he was specialized in a lot of things, but the things he wasn't great at, he outsourced the people he trusted. And, mm -hmm. and by putting the best people in charge of the different things, I mean, he ran one of the smoothest events that's ever been run and it continued to grow. And there was rarely an issue with it. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was amazing. And, and one thing I think too that that he was very adamant about from the beginning that never changed from the top, from the first event when we had 16 10 man teams to the last one when there were 72 <laughs> was that he it was all open right there was no divisions so it wasn't it, it once again it wasn't the tournament that you go to and you're like training all year because you need to win this and you have to make the best team possible no he wanted it to be fun for everyone you wanted kids to be able to go out and play against pros he wanted pros that he wanted he wanted someone to beat dynasty to beat x factor to beat philly because those are the memories that people won't, won't ever forget you know mm -hmm. and, and 
is a lot of teams at times have been like, hey, we should go to divisions. You should lock this and lock that. And, and I was glad he was stubborn about it and never changed because it's one of the unique things to have a tournament that big with no divisions. Mm-hmm. I, I can't think of any other one that will play 80, 90 teams with no divisions, you know? Right. And I would, I would have to imagine it was it would be a lot easier to run. This is Winston's. He says hi. Hey. <laughs> That's a big cat. Yeah, he's kind of pear shaped. He's just an old guy. He's got a big <laughs> belly. He's got a little head. Yeah. When uh, when did you first, you know, I guess were uh, I don't know if you were like introduced to Tim or how you and Tim kind of came to be uh, I, friends. I could tell you the first day I met Tim was actually in Mardi Gras in 2004. I'd seen him play in 2003 on like Detroit Thunder and stuff, but like we in passing, you know, like a hi there, hi there. Yeah. But he got on Philly in 2004, and he got on like pretty shortly, like a week or two before the season really started, because uh, Thunder fell apart. Strange took over the Detroit franchise, mm-hmm. and he got picked up by Philly. He actually got a phone call, and he thought it was Shock calling him, <laughs> and he ended up agreeing to it, and it ended up being Philly. <laughs> he played for Philly, but so he's down in Mardi Gras, and the one night, and uh, I was on the All Americans at the time, which was like the open team we were all the all these two guys that yep. changed it all american so it was like me jason edwards uh i think aaron foley like i think lucian might have been there that year some other guys that had been or have been around or still are around but uh we were walking by his room and he was just sitting there alone <laughs> like what do you got going on he's like all the philly guys left me they i guess they went to dinner when just <laughs> left them and didn't bring them so like he hung out with me and Jason Edwards that night. I think we had some forties. We did a couple forties. <laughs> we're hanging out, just you know, and just bonded then. And and then obviously he moved down uh, to Greensburg to run the All American Paintball Park. And so I worked with him on a daily basis. Uh, hung out with him every day. Played paintball with him. Traveled with him. So he became like the friend that I just did everything with. And it, mm-hmm. it's more than just like a friendship or something in passing because it's literally like every aspect of your life this person's passionate about the same things and you do everything together so yeah i'll probably spend more time with that dude than any other person in the world in the last 20 years which is crazy yeah because i mean it's even with you guys at times playing on different teams you still came Mm -hmm. home to each other exactly even when we're on different teams which wasn't for the majority of our career we played the majority of our career together still between mm-hmm. on philly impact and he we played on all three plus guesting even when we weren't playing on teams in the states together we still usually would travel and guest with teams together yeah. in europe in the european league or in australia or south america do clinics different places so even when we weren't playing here we were still playing together all the time still playing every weekend that we didn't have team practices we still played together like we just had our same group of guys, the same yeah. Philly group of guys doing everything together. So, yeah. Yeah. I remember Tim being on Tim and effect and, uh, he had some th- swag on Tim and effect. He done all stickered up his flexes turn. He was the one was who the was, Midwest in him. yeah, he was the one who was really close to home, who I felt had a lot of style to yeah. not only his play, but also just how he looked, who I really was like, that guy looks pretty fucking cool. He like, did look. He looked way cooler when he was that age than I looked playing when oh, I was that totally. age. I was all goofy. I had like one of the blue flex ice masks. It was Ooh, probably distorted, nice. you know. Just 
this looks booby. <laughs> yeah, man, it was. He was definitely um, looking good for uh, for the time period. That's for sure. But um, but I was I was re- you know Tim was very inspiring throughout uh, throughout my whole career. Always had great advice too. You know, anytime I approached him about anything, he was always very informative. Whether it be, um, uh, you know, what I didn't really want to hear, but was yeah. the truth at the time. A um, smart dude who's very well spoken and not afraid to say the truth. Yeah, you know, like he was—he never pulled punches. He told people what they needed to hear and not what they wanted to hear, and yeah. that was important. And I think the one positive thing that came out of his passing is the amount of people that, that told me like just how he touched them in some way or another, just to see how inspirational he's been able to be to people all over the world and mm-hmm. like how he found the time to do all that is just inspiring and, and crazy to me. Like it was just like every person has a story that uh, about him helping him or him being there mm-hmm. for him. It's just, it's just really, it's, it's cool and it's sad and it's, yeah, no, it's everything. It's just it's all emotions. It is totally, dude, and he's he's absolutely missed. And I think one thing that doesn't apply to him is uh, the saying that you don't know what you got till it's gone. Because I feel like while he was here, still he made such an impact with people, and it and it was like it wasn't like oh my god, I I, I you know I didn't realize I took Tim for granted, and it's, I was like no, like that's. No. That doesn't apply for Tim because, like, you just you completely were aware of Tim and how much he just had an impact for you while he was still yeah. here. And I think you can you can look at that a couple ways too. It's like you can not understand the impact someone had on you while they're here, but you can also not understand the present that you're in yourself. And I thought right. he did a good job of that himself too. Like he always really appreciated where he was. He he worked his whole life. He could have done a lot of other things he's an intelligent person had a lot of job offers outside the industry but he worked tailored his whole life to be exactly what he wanted it to be Mm -hmm. and he did everything he wanted to do i mean he lived in his short life he lived more probably a a funner and more prosperous life than most people will can ever say they do in a in a hundred years you know yeah and and that's cool it's cool that i don't think he would have looked back and wanted to change anything that he did. And, and and I think that's, that's important. I think it's, it's, it's reassuring for people you leave because once you're gone, you're gone. It Mm -hmm. it is what it is for your, for yourself. Like what you do is you leave behind a lot of people, you leave behind emotions like that. But if they can sit back and, and, and be happy knowing that they think that you did everything you wanted to do while you're here, you weren't regretting it. You weren't depressed. You weren't this, then, yeah. then that's easier for people. I think that's why it's so key to be genuine and do what you yeah. love because I, and I think that's what, that was why Tim was the way he was. Cause he was so genuine and he loved what he did. So he, there was no reason for him to be yeah. anything other than, you know, who he was, uh, if that makes sense. But hundred percent. And yeah, it, it's a great, miss him man it's you know i definitely uh, and wasn't day. as close wasn't as close as him uh you know obviously as you were but uh but i think i have those nostalgic kind of old times with him too yeah. you know back then and the backstage stuff For that sure. you know not a lot of people you know got to see yeah. outside of teams and whatnot too you know with farkas and oh yeah everybody <laughs> farkas also is one of those guys where 
he's the most unknown known person that I've ever met. Yeah, I'll give you that. <laughs> Such a that. fucking weirdo, dude. He's animated. As much as Sam's my most cartoon looking friend, Farkas is my most cartoon acting friend. <laughs> <laughs> I've tried. I've I've he's someone that like you wish was with you like at the hotel at every event like just to be able to like just go out with and entertain After you event, yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> and just to degrade you call you a toy and then just ignore you and then like stare at you in the uh, corner a toy he probably called he, probably, he calls me daddy more than a toy but <laughs> yeah i'm more toy yeah he calls me toy yeah. all the time yeah you're definitely daddy, daddy wild man uh, it's <laughs> there's so many characters in paintball I, I think that's one of the biggest takeaways for me and I, I probably said it to you know at nauseum on this podcast but just like the characters of the of the sport itself are are just equal um or better than like being able to have the experience of playing the game hmm. and, i'll tell you what's even more cool than the characters is the fact that certain characters mesh well together right yes they're people become best friends in paintball that would have never been friends in regular life. You have people from every outreach of life, from every personality group, like form together because they follow the same passion or have the same goal or whatever. Yeah. And you see people that would have never been friends. They're, they're just like two puzzle pieces that would never fit together and they just make a perfect puzzle. Like, mm -hmm. And I think that's cool to see how it just all weaves together and how like you can leave petty bullshit aside and, and it doesn't matter. People are just people. There's good people, there's bad people, but people are people and you can get along with anyone. And if you're true intention, it's good. I mean, look at the, look at the demographic of some of the most successful teams or any, you know, pro team out there. I guarantee you that there's opposite spectrums, uh, <laughs> for sure. But they somehow find and figure out a way to just make it work on this yeah. one kind of platform that we all, know as and love which is paintball yeah and it's not even always like you don't need the best players to make the best right. team you just need the team that fits together the best the team that believes in each other the best the, the pieces that complement each other the best and i've said that my whole career i was like you could add the best player in the world to the best team in the world and, and make it worse mm -hmm. make both of them worse you just yeah. need the right pieces that fit together and that's one thing that i think we're extremely lucky with on heat is that now we're going on four years without making a roster change and you just get to, to have that stability to know exactly the way the players are going to play next to you to know outside of playing like what people need outside of the field because you spend so much time together in the mm -hmm. hotel rooms that you can you can harbor resentment against people or you can just understand them better and you know when to give people space when to not give people space like who likes a room this temperature who doesn't <laughs> how in the field like how they're going to move like what what they're going to show a little bit so that you understand that they might move or just their body language and stuff. And, and the more time you have with people, the, the stronger your team gets and the stronger those bonds build and, yep. and the harder it is to beat you. And that isn't changing talent. is isn't changing players. It's just growing together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to jet back to uh, your career since I mm -hmm. don't really know too much about it. And I'm no curious. Um, you were, uh, what was what was the next jump for you from it was what all A's two? Yeah. Um, so, what was the next jump? So I played with all A's two in two thousand one and two thousand two. And if it had stayed ten man, I was gonna go down and play for Strange in two thousand and three. But it went to X Ball in two thousand three 
So I was still with the Ollies too at the beginning. Spesh asked me to come to a tryout for Philly for that first year down in Fort Myers. And I was like, yeah, I'll come. He's like, okay, but you can't tell John and Chris, who are the captains of the Ollies too. I was like, mm-hmm. well, I can't tell him. He's like, I just don't want to go mad. We'll tell him later. Then they ended up finding out before I could tell them because he told me to wait on telling them. And yeah. then they're like, then they're all mad. I was like, you know, they just kind of left a bad taste in my mouth for the Philly program at first. I was like, I don't want to go play with these dudes who, as much as Ollie's too and all, and all Americans were like brother sister team, mm-hmm. they hated each other. Like, I remember fights in Ted, man, like literally fist fights at practices sometimes. It was just a huge rivalry of sharing the same oh, sponsors, shit. sharing the same everything. So there was that like built in tension, right? Mm-hmm. So, when that kind of the bad taste happened, I still went down to the tryout. They said I made the team. I, I, I turned them down. So I still played uh, with all Americans that year, which was the open X-Ball team instead of Philly. And then the next year, Daryl asked me to, or especially asked me again to come try out. And I was like, after, yeah, I was like, yeah, I, I think I can give this a shot again. So whatever. They just won the World Cup. That, and then Daryl looked at me and goes, oh, no, you said no to us last year. So you can't be on our team this year. I was like, whatever. <laughs> so then uh, in 2004, is when uh, Miami Effect, when Infamous left Miami Effect and went and played that seven man, then they got kicked out of the NXL. That opened up that spot. So our team, uh, Billy, ended up buying that spot, and our team moved up to play pro that year in 2004 in the NXL. And I played that year, and and we didn't win games. And uh, people, you could probably make like a worst teams of all time, and people would probably say like Miami Effect, Legacy, the teams that had lost a lot back then. But losing back then, like, you're playing two 25-minute halves. We we lost some games, like, 19 to 18, like, 13 yeah. to 12. We tied games 14 to 14. It's different than losing a, a seven-point game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, 100%. Because you, if they were seven points, we would have won for half the games. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. just because it turns into coin flips instead of, like, actual skill. But then, like, the better teams were winning, and we got – a lot. I mean, there was 15, 18 people on a roster back then. Coaching decisions had to be perfect, or else yeah. your team really wasn't. And we had gained some players and lost some players, and, and I was just getting kind of frustrated with the direction that was going. And the so that was from like 2004 into 2005. And in Chicago in 2005, uh, Rowdy McDonald, who used to be an All American, was coaching us on the IMA Effect, came to me and asked me. He said, "Hey, we're thinking about trading uh, you to Philly at the end of the year. Would you be okay with that?" And I was like, yeah, he's like, it won't be until after World Cup, whatever, but we're going to trade you because back then the teams owned your rights. Mm-hmm. You literally had to get traded. You had no control of anything, even though. Were you getting paid at the time? Uh, I've always gotten taken care of. We we had a pretty good deal. I wasn't getting like paid enough to live on back then, but right. I was getting some money to play yeah, and stuff like that uh, through through Billy and Adam and with just product and mostly yeah. and stuff. And we, we got X amount for wins and stuff like that, but it wasn't like a set amount except for like the wins, bonuses, some guns. It's pretty much your, probably like your that. basic setup. Yeah, it was pretty good. I mean, it, for the time it was a really, yeah. it was a really good deal. And, uh, and it would have been about the same on Philly. So that wasn't going to be that big a difference. And I was like, yeah, if, if you want to, I'm, I'm not real happy with the direction the team's going. You can trade me. So that was, Saturday at Chicago, woke up on Sunday to go play our game. Wait, we had a meeting beforehand. Went to a meeting. They're like, oh, you're playing with Philly today. We traded you. It's like, oh, shit. <laughs> That's a lot sooner than I thought. Way sooner. So then <laughs> ended up ended up being like me and Foley got traded for JT Bouchard, uh, BJ, Frank Connell, 
Jay Green, Caleb Adcock. It was like five, six people who got traded for me and Aaron Foley at the time. So it was the first paintball trade. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was kind of weird. Played with. Then I went and played the game with Philly. <laughs> Had to borrow <laughs> Eric Dearman's jersey. <laughs> Jeez. Put it on. Played, played the first couple days of the tournament with Miami Effect. The last one's with Philly. Then I played on Philly from that Chicago, Chicago 05 until till 2009 cup when it when uh smart parts ended up going bankrupt because of the whole banking crisis and stuff and then wow. our team kind of had to dissolve that way and even at the time we were still trying to keep like because our team was really getting good then like we had now gone through a couple peaks and rebuildings and and we had grown it to be a kind of a different philly or all americans than what the original was mm-hmm. uh now like the core was like tim as our captain he had me, Hugo? Bad. No, no, Tim. My mantra is there was a captain. No, no, well, I mean, but did oh, yeah. you... Hugo was on the team. Oh, okay. JT, like, uh, uh, Fatty, Chad George, Sam, Fedorov. Uh, it was just us. Like, half of us still play together to this day. Yeah. And uh, we were getting really good. And 2007 was probably one of our worst years. By 2008, we were competing, but the Ironmen were still better than us we lost a lot of one point games in the finals the ironman that year mm-hmm. about 2009 we were the better team we had, we had won the first event uh got a couple seconds sh- should have won world cup but uh it, we won the first game they were best of three then still won mm-hmm. the first game lost the second game and ended up losing a one point game to the russians but like i think we were still like 60 points above them for like the season hmm. So, like, our team, we were really good in 2009. So, to have a top team go away is pretty unheard of. Yeah. And, uh, like, like we look at someone like Damage. Like, we had knocked Damage out of every tournament for, like, six straight tournaments or seven straight tournaments. And oh, they'd geez. never beaten us. They'd never beaten Philly ever still because mm-hmm. they never did. And we played them all the time. And then as soon as Philly was gone, they start winning events. <laughs> Sometimes it is just that, like, one hurdle in your way. You yeah, know? true. And uh, so, at the end of 2009, we're cup we already knew the situation and we were like still trying to keep our team together uh we had some offers from other uh gun companies and stuff that wanted like ironman wanted to just take us us take over that ironman squad they were just gonna get rid of their guys and take us on oh, wow. an american name they wanted the rights to it adam wasn't gonna go for that so things were just kind of dragging on for a while and uh eventually some players were getting offers and we were just like you know because now you see people leave what like two days after cup a week after cup people are moving a month in we're mm-hmm. into the middle of january and none of us had left still we were still trying to figure it out we we're still trying to see if we could work it out and eventually we're like you know start taking some of these deals before there's not somewhere to go to right and then once we told a couple people that they should take it then we all pretty much just found spots and went our ways you know so was that the was that the impact uh era yeah, so that was yeah, that was at the end of 2009. Uh, Bart ended up calling me, and I had a really good conversation with him. Uh, it was the first American player that they picked up, me and Dave Baines, for the same time. But mm-hmm. in X-Ball, Dave didn't play. Dave was still in the Russians, so Dave only played with us in uh, seven man. But, uh, yeah, I just had a really good conversation with him. I talked to uh, – I had hung out with JC, Joshua Med, Zane, Zach a lot in, like, Europe sometimes, Josh Davies, stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I was already friends with some of them least enough to feel comfortable with them uh and like i said i just had a real good conversation with bart so i decided to go to impact and uh we ended up winning that very first event that 
uh, it was at Phoenix 2010, mm-hmm. which was the first pro event they ever won. And, um, which was pretty cool for that. Like, uh, like that felt good. That was a really oh, cool yeah. feel too. Like the, the short bunkers on both sides were like three sets of pins. <laughs> you had to like battle out of these weird spots and stuff. It was, just, it was just a ton of fun. And, um, played with them for four years until I went, uh, after one year, uh, with them, I ended up getting, uh, Chad and Tim and, uh, Jason chosen to coach the team. So brought over some of our guys uh, at that point in time, Tim was ready to leave aftershock and, uh, Tim went to Aftershock. He he had a lot of offers. Like Dynasty wanted him to play. Other teams wanted him to play. But he went to Aftershock because they uh, agreed to take a couple people with him. And Tim would rather go with his friends to somewhere and yeah. play than play by himself on a, a better team at the time. And then ended up by World Cup. I mean, they got second at World Cup that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that was pretty cool, I thought. But then after that year, he came and joined me on Impact with Chad. And then ended up playing with him on Impact until through 2013, so uh, four years with them. And then uh, we made the move over to Heat, and we've been there since 2014 through present. And that's Crazy. not counting the couple dozen, you know, European teams. Or <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Because I remember uh... one time actually, me and Tim played with the Tontons in Europe for this year. Tim had played with them the year before, but we were supposed to play with Philly, but Adam gave the Tauntauns as part of their sponsorship, me and Tim to play with them. So even though we had a team over there, we were playing with the Tauntauns, <laughs> which was, it was like jealous of you're not with your boys, but I had a lot of great times with the Tauntauns and you always have good times and meeting new people, experience in different cultures. And yeah. you know, with the French, you get nice four hour meals, like 20 bottles of wine. They don't know what water is. Finish it off with a bunch of espresso. There's, There's water and wine. Oh no! It's just, it's just wine and espresso. <laughs> oh my god! So, what is um? Is it Tonton Flingers? Yeah, yeah. What is that? Do you? I mean, I don't speak French. It was an old. <clears throat> it was an old French movie, actually, and it genuinely or generally kind of translates to Uncle Shooters or <laughs> Uncle Fingers. <laughs> like, Uncle Fingers. Yeah. It was like an old. French detective movie or something that was like Uncle Shooters, like Tonton Flingers. Oh man, because I remember their I remember their jerseys and everything. They were like bright yellow and blue, the like yellow, orange, and they had the Wolverine. Or, orange, yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. Pretty cool. Yeah, I didn't like it when they went to the yellow blue in their newer age, but I thought the yellow, like orange, red in part ones with the Wolverine, those ones were pretty cool. You know, uh, speaking of like the jerseys and everything, one that a lot of people seek out. Which for for me like the the simplicity factor is there, but I just I, I don't see it are the old school uh, Russian jerseys. Yeah, I they're not my style, but people think seize them out because I mean they've been such a dominant force for so long, and that's yeah. like the roots of it. Like I thought they were cool. I like I think they're cool to look at now because I remember watching them run around the old cow pastures at World Cup when they were still a ten man team, and Sergey the owner was still playing, and he yeah. had like a fan on his pack with like a hose going to keep his goggles from fogging. And they had like literally like track suits to run around with. That's what they played in between the ugly jerseys and then just all these bright blue pants with white stripes down them. And it looked like they were playing in pajamas. So like <laughs> the nostalgia true. of it for me, like I still like looking at them. Yeah, that's and true. I would probably like owning one of the old ones because of that. But do I think they look cool now? <laughs> They're hideous. Yeah. They're hideous. Uh, but the ugly is cool sometimes, you know? You that can is true. Ugly to be cool or it could not. There's like the um like the the USA X ball jersey I have, mm-hmm. like 
it's an okay jersey, but I mostly have it just for like the nostalgia factor. One hundred percent. Yeah. That was a crazy exhibition. Is it? You had the one from the exhibition, the Diablo one, or do you have one of the? Yeah, I have the exhibition one. Um, I don't see blank. Cut off at the wire. Oh yeah. <laughs> so oh, yeah, 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 that one there. All ugly though. <laughs> but they're cool. Like then now, I wish I would have gotten a whole set at the time. Could to have like all the countries right? that played in that first exhibition would have been really cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy just how much we think about. Because uh, I mean, you're still presently uh, in the mix, but just thinking about kind of the whole times timeline of when we first started playing. You started way before I did because I didn't start until like 2001. Um, but the things that happened in that time span uh, were, I, I think, the most dynamic in the sport. And I think you can always look at the past and, and kind of look at it with rose-colored glasses too, right. you know? But like, I agree, but I'm just thankful to have played in an era that I got to experience all these different changes and I got the, and it wasn't yeah. just cut or dry i just feel very blessed to being able to play under such good team owners and such good companies and then playing in all these different formats and seeing how they progress and how mm -hmm. they transitioned is one of the coolest things to me and i think it's helped me in my game a lot i mean i, I still I, I play a really untraditional game in my opinion I don't, mm -hmm. don't, it's kind of weird but it works for me but like it's all like just learn through experience in, in the woods and doing yep. this or something else and it's just you, you could transition those different skill sets that you would never learn if you didn't start there or have someone explain them to you exactly and i, I would i continuously say it all the time and i've always said that you have the most successful unorthodox playing style that it that i like it should work I, I mean, it does not, <laughs> it looks like you're constantly falling but somehow yeah. it's graceful still and like just works and yeah, I don't uh, too hard and stuff, but it doesn't lay. Yeah, it doesn't look good, but it, it I probably really feels great. Looking good, I just care about if it works, and so as long as it works, I'm happy. That's the thing. As long as you don't hurt yourself and yeah. you're comfortable doing whatever, like yeah, it might not look good on on film, but who gives a shit? Like, and know, I think it's pretty crazy. In like the 20 years I played like nationally, I've only had to miss one tournament from an injury. Yeah, it's I'm, I'm very upwards surprised. of 15 to 20 events a year, so and you don't wear like, elbow pads. You know, I do. It's a misconception. I don't wear big ones. I wear basketball shooting sleeves. Ooh, okay. So, and then I, for my knee pads, I wear uh, basically compression sleeves or like baseball sliders. They're not really too padded, mm -hmm. but they just like keep it all tight. Yeah. But I, like, I obviously, I grew up, I started playing with no elbow pads, no knee pads. I, yeah. I remember the first time I started wearing them. It wasn't until probably midway through 2001. We went to Vegas for an event, and it was on the worst ground I've ever seen let alone ever played on <laughs> and like literally there was like dust devils coming through ripping fields down but there was like just boulders and rocks coming up and like cracks in the dirt it was mm -hmm. just playing in the desert and i was like well i need to wear knee pads so that's like first time i wore elbow knee pads i wore them for a while and when i quit wearing paintball knee pads was because i actually hurt my knee more in a knee pad than i ever have since oh wow and it was just, i was playing on top of like a stiff <clears throat> ground i dove and my knee pad caught right stuck in and my knee rolled Ooh. and i was like i just don't want something like that to happen anymore so i went right. to these just like compression sleeves which are baseball sliders they have a tiny little pad and they're just keep it tight and once i started wearing them i was like wow this is way better because not only is that not going to happen i was like i'm willing to get a few more brush burns a few more bruises to not get an injury like I, right. i'd rather once in a while than be injured ever. Mm -hmm. 
I went to it and then I was amazed because I barely ever get cherries on my knees. I never am bruised really. I was like, oh, this just works better. And on top of that, it, on top of it working better for me, like I feel so much faster in them. I yeah. don't have that bulk. I feel so much more limber. I can be smaller in bunkers. I just never, when I play, it's like I don't feel anything on me, right? So like I'm never thinking about it or just my knee pad i'm never pulling it up i'm never bending my knee and having something bulge up behind it right and paintball knee pads are good like companies are making good ones but they're just and the elbow pads too like they're just a lot bigger than i want mm. i want something super small i want my tendons to be tight so they're just not loose because the older you get the more you play sports your your joints get a little loose you want that to be held tight together yeah and outside of that that's all i need and honestly like probably like Four of the guys on our team have gone to those knee pads. And so Chad George wears the same knee pads I wear. Sam wears the same knee pads I wear. And they were like, Chad was the biggest, like, you're an idiot. I would never wear those. And I worked on them for like four years. Just try them. I swear he'll like them. He's like, yeah, that's impossible. I'd kill myself in them. Start wearing them. He's never not worn them since. Mm-hmm. Transitioned a lot of people over. So it's like, it's not like I'm not doing it because I'm trying to be tough. It's just I honestly think it's a competitive advantage to do it. And the same thing with elbow pads. People are always like, well, you don't get bounces. I was like, no, because it's not bulky. You just don't shoot me. Yeah. <laughs> like, like the part that would have bounced on you, if it would have bounced, because that's rare, mm-hmm. just miss it because I don't have an extra inch on each side of my forearm. Yeah, and if like, I get I shot in my shot forearm, I'm that. I'm way too big. Like I'm I'm I I'm ex- my forearms that often. Like in like yeah. in with having nothing there, I just feel lighter i feel smaller I, it's just it just works mm-hmm. better for me it's not right for everyone right but i've always do they're like oh i couldn't do it i couldn't do it i was like listen i am probably the least easy person on my body like there's probably 10 people i can name that have been as rough on their bodies and you'd be one of them in their career <laughs> as i am so yeah. just i don't think about my body when i'm playing i do whatever my body needs to do to get to mm-hmm. somewhere I'll let it drop, I'll let it dive, I'll jump, it's whatever. It's just whatever my body tells me needs to happen for me to get to somewhere okay. Right. And I trust my body, I trust my instincts, and it works. But I'm telling people, I was like, if I can wear, I've been wearing these now for eight years, the same kind of, the Mizuno on Amazon, they're eight, I think six to eight dollars a piece. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got to buy them individually because they're not made for that. <laughs> but if anyone wants them, the Mizuno baseball sliders, and uh, I highly recommend them, but if they ever get sold out, they need to send me some. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but they're uh, yeah. I just I just I tell people like if I could do it, it's obviously not hard on my joints. Like right. if, if you'd be you'd be okay. Well, that's why I really enjoyed the carbon stuff when they started coming out with like the the more dense the 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 smaller dense yeah. foam with the with the compression everywhere. I think that's they have something going in that direction because it's not you're not yeah. getting the the twisting of the knee pad or anything like that because yeah. everything's so tight and the foam's so dense that you have yeah. like a good enough amount of cushion and yeah those did seem like they're pretty padded for like if i was would want something more padding something like that yeah. would be the one thing i was skeptical about or I, I don't like being like having everything compressed like i get kind of claustrophobic with like compression like shirts and pants on and stuff like mm-hmm. that I just, I just don't enjoy it but the other thing is like when you have something a pad on something that big it still slides around a little because it's a it's a stretch fabric and right. stuff like that where i think if you just put it on like the points of impact where you exactly where you need it like the smallest area then you can compress tighter on those areas without having to make something like one size fits all in a way you know right yeah, and and to go along with that, I think being a front player um, as as we are, I think a big thing that 
I try and teach at clinics and I, and I always try and tell uh, other front players is a big key is being body conscious mm-hmm. of being able to listen to your body and be able to being able to know, uh, you know, sometimes when you have to drop really yeah. quick or like die or like cut through a lane differently, you know, off a whim. Yeah. Um, and, and just being able to move your body the way you need to, you don't want it to. That's why I was so, you know, curious at why I wore such big shit back in the day. Because just paintball gear was just, not only the guns were huge, but like the jerseys were big, the pants were big. I was like, why is all this? Worst, but, worst time for gear ever. But <laughs> I also don't like like super tight jerseys or super tight pants or anything like that. It's got to be, be like a nice, happy yeah. medium everywhere. A little bit of flow, but tight enough where it's not good. Like you don't want it to be constrictive. But you yeah. don't want it to be extra. Exactly. Way. I don't want to wear you know sweatpants out there like the super tight ones. Actually, we started wearing the sweatpants in 2018 because there's original HK joggers. Now we have the TRKs, which are made with like with the abrasion knees and stuff that yeah. don't fall apart. But we started wearing the sweatpants. And I love playing in the sweatpants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're not gonna hold up. But I was like. And people are like, oh, I don't know if I like the way they look. I was like, I don't care the way they look. I was mm-hmm. like, it feels like I could go to bed in these. I'm so comfortable. <laughs> I'm so limber. They stretch perfect. And that was like the time where it was like transitioning out of heavy stuff, like the worst pants I ever wore, which were yeah. probably some of the nicest made pants ever or the Eclipse ones. Like if I was a scenario player, rec player, something like that, like at the time, like those pants made out of Kevlar, they would have lasted you 10 years. Mm-hmm. Like they were great made pants, but as a competitive person is doing something at the highest level, they were so heavy. Yeah. Like I could put one in my gear bag or else I'll be overweight, oh. put a little water on them. They were so high waisted. I was like, I was like, I can't, I can't be an athlete in these. Like, Pants have definitely gotten lighter. The price yeah. tag has stayed the same, but the, the, you know, they've gotten lighter because obviously there's less material. Um, but one thing I do, I do want to say, they're using like four way stretches, right. using like the, the whatever that rhino skin stuff is and they're, they're using mm-hmm. better now so yeah i mean god save the rhinos you know we're using them for paintball pants but you know it, it happens it's gonna happen it's their skin somebody gotta use it for something <laughs> um one thing i do want to say before we uh before we wrap up is that i i did i truly throughout my career want wanted to uh just kind of give you uh a very like I was very thankful for you throughout my career because you were one of those guys who I know was going to be able to match up against uh, at the 50. And it wasn't like for me, it wasn't like a get to the 50 rapid shooter. But like I liked getting into those tight battles where it yeah, could be just sure. you and I just going back and forth. Like who's going to bunker who at this point because we knew we were going to be there. And and I, I just can't tell you enough how much it meant to be to, you know, play against somebody like-minded like myself who just liked getting dirty and just getting yeah. in it and i i'm very very much appreciated uh playing against you yeah. and uh and just learning to try to fucking shoot you in some way i, I, I very much appreciate it well that's i mean that's an honor for you to say that and i really appreciate you saying that but i will say the same thing it's like one of the things i appreciated you most like a lot of people are like oh carl's so fast he's always gonna run the 50 he's always gonna do this but the, the thing i appreciate about you the most is is your mindset you weren't a quitter right you couldn't mentally break you and that's what i try to do when i play people and, and the fact that you would just go in and bare knuckle fight for however long it was and i enjoyed that i enjoy places like that i don't think there's many and uh, so i like i like the greatiness that you brought and i thought we had 
I don't even know how many battles over the years, but they've all been good. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, man, it's been it's been super fun, and I really, really hope I get to uh, I get to meet you on the field again. And um, for sure, we should and... play ten man together sometime too. Uh, dude, I'm I'm always down. I know I'm gonna be playing a lot uh, with the Brimstone guys. Oh yeah, they're good guys. But uh, yeah, in um, and there's some guys from Ohio, and they're kind of from all over the place too. But they were. Uh, they've asked me to play for them and i was like yeah as soon as like shit settles down and the weather comes around i'm i'm down but sure. i'm just paintball in general i'd love to come out to pa sometime just play yeah. some ball and hang out and uh yeah we'll, we'll set up a time and come out and play with us and sometimes level level up guys come through and oh, you can yeah. just come play with me sam chad whatever we'll have a good time I'm down, man. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate. It. I think it was a it was a, a long, long time, time coming, coming yeah. and I, I really I, I apologize because you were one of the ones that I I wanted to get in that I I talked about on the podcast a lot <laughs> and that I just somehow I was like never got you on and I finally did and I, I I just I really appreciate it and I really appreciate you and and thank you so much for like the memories throughout the years and um yeah it's been awesome, man. Thanks so much, man. It was my pleasure. Absolutely, and uh. Yeah, hopefully we'll see you soon here at the next 10-man and maybe someday in the future at the NXL event. Yeah, for sure. All I'll right, be buddy. ready. I'm, I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. So. Me too. I still feel good. <laughs> Dude, these kids are keeping me quick. I mean, I think that's okay. the only thing. We'll see. All I right, man. Now as I ever have, so I can't complain. <laughs> we'll see you, dude. We'll see you soon. Later, brother. Have a good one. See ya. Thank you, Ryan very much appreciated my friend um i had a really cool time talking you know it's i haven't been able to talk to him like that in a long time or really at all as long as far as that conversation is concerned um just like a lot of the guys on here i know uh like on a personal basis but it's like one of those paintball uh kind of paintball relationships where it's like you see him at events and every now and then at practices and it's cool to be able to sit down and, uh, and chitty chat. I hope you guys enjoyed that one. I, I definitely did. Um, if you are sticking around for the ads, guys, please check out Charm City Paintball. Um, like I said, he has headbands and head wraps out the butt for, uh, for, your, for any kind of need you like. He has colors. He has all these custom fabrics that he's making up. Um, they're amazing. Please check them out. Charm City Paintball, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, thank you. And also, Melavio, if you guys are looking at CBD and you are wondering why everybody's selling it, it's because everybody's making it, but you can't really trust where everything is coming from. But what's nice is that Melavio, you are getting it from the source. They produce all of their own stuff. Um, and some of the things that they also have going on is their honey is coming from a, a, a veterans program or 100% of the proceeds go to that. Uh, they also have um, some vintage uh, shops that are producing some jewelry that are going to some bath bomb. They have all kinds of stuff happening. They do a lot of local um, local things over there. And they do a lot of things for other paintball teams. So make sure you check them out. Melovio, M-E-L-L-O-V-E-O.com. And you can use your promo code, capital T-P-O-P, and you will get... 15% off your order. Awesome. Thank you again, everybody, for tuning in. It has been amazing, again, to have uh, more conversations with people that I enjoy talking to as well as watching on the paintball field or, or whatever field that, they, uh, what, that they're in because I enjoy talking to everybody and, uh, and hearing all kinds of stories. So if you guys enjoyed this, please head over to... Uh, patreon 
and uh, and 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 donate if you would like to help t- uh, you know help out the podcast. Uh, that would be at Playing On Podcast, patreoncom slash podcast and uh, and just help out if you can. If not, no worries. Just uh, give me an air five, and I'd uh, high five or high five, and I'd appreciate it. But thank you everybody so much for listening. Um, it is uh, truly amazing to be in a community where so many people come together for uh, something like this, and I'm glad that I can put out a product that uh, that you all enjoy. So here is to uh, you and you all. I'll take another little sippy do of my tea. Please keep your eyes and uh, everything on the road, and uh, don't text and drive. You all know that. Stay alive. God, that sounds like a fucking high school. <laughs> but seriously, man, there's too much shaking. That uh, there's too much chaos out there, especially when you're behind a wheel um, of a car. So pay attention, please. Listen to podcasts like this one. There's many more paintball podcasts out there. Make sure you give them a shout. And uh, and we'll see you again here soon on the Playing On podcast. Peace. <laughs>